here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. ProRisuShop.com, your only source for authentic ProRisu merch straight from Japan. Translation extraordinaire Yatsumi has helped more than 300 fans all across the world purchase authentic merchandise, and now he's bringing that savings to you. With over 300 items to choose from, ProRisuShop.com has the largest selection of New Japan and ProRisu merchandise you can't get anywhere else. Shirts, belts, trading cards, DVDs, and more from the biggest stars of Japan, like Tanahashi, Okada, Nakamura, and of course, the Bullet Club. Get them all for the same price you would pay in Japan, with worldwide shipping starting at only $6.99. For the very best in ProRisu merchandise across the world, the choice is clear. ProRisuShop.com that's P-U-R-O-R-E-S-U shop.com. ProRisu shop.com. You can be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You can beat the world. You can beat the war. You can talk the guy go banging on his door. You can throw your hands up. You can beat the clock. You can move a mountain. You can break rocks. You can be a master. Don't wait for luck. Dedicate yourself and you can find yourself. Again to the Voice Wrestling Podcast. I'm Rich Grace, alongside, as always, Mr. Joe Lands and Joe. We are joined by a very special guest. The the it's finally here. The battle of which sounds like Joe versus cicadas or crickets, but it's actually the Joe versus Dylan Hills battle finally coming. I uh, you know my 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 first question for Dylan is, uh, do you think standards change in wrestling? <laughs> No, I don't. I, I, <laughs> well, now let's talk about Hiroshi Tanahashi and why he is the greatest of all time. I think uh, we're gonna. People are gonna be disappointed because for two reasons. Number one, uh, this isn't really the proper uh, show to uh, have an all-out battle, and uh, number two, I think uh, I, I don't. I don't mean to bury the heat here, but I, I think me and Dylan agree on way more things than people seem to think we do. Yeah, that's no fun. Uh, yeah, that's totally killing the gimmick. But um, you know, there's there's definitely things that we are uh, completely opposed on. Uh, but there's a ton of things where we see common ground as well. So uh, I have a feeling that that when the big uh, appropriate showdown happens, it may not be as explosive as people are hoping <laughs> for. Uh, you know, unless of course we work something out behind the scenes. But uh, the, we'll work it out. Yeah, the, the, the topic at hand, though, of course, is the Observer Hall of Fame. And uh, the region today is the United States-Canada region. This is the big boy. We figure we'll get more listeners for this one uh, 
than any of the of the, uh, the shows we've done yet. Uh, just being that, well, we're an American-based podcast, Rich, and I think people are most interested in these candidates. Absolutely. And uh, we do have Dylan here with us. And um, Dylan, first of all, congratulations on finally getting a ballot. It is uh, more than well-deserved because everybody knows that, that, that uh, you've wanted one for years. And not only that, but you deserve one because I, I believe that you probably do more research and care more about uh, the Hall of Fame than probably 99% of the voters anyway. Well, uh, thanks. Uh, I, you know, it's funny because I, for the longest time, even though I've been involved in these debates, literally since there's been ballotings, literally since 1998, uh, I honestly never really cared about whether I got a ballot uh, in the sense that it wasn't like I was, I, I was looking or, or going out of my way to get one. Um, but as time went on, I was like, Jesus Christ, why do I not have a ballot when I saw some of the people who did? <laughs> so, so, Especially Joe. I mean, if Joe got one, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean. the, uh, so, so uh, yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't know how that worked out. I have my suspicions, and, uh, uh, you know, I've got a pretty good uh, rapport with, with Dave himself, Dave Meltzer, even though we don't agree on, on everything. But, uh, uh, yeah, I got a ballot this year, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to have it. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit different when you have a ballot from when you don't because you turn from being an advocate to a voter, and then you kind of have to look at things a little bit differently, especially when they change the rules on you. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I was gonna, I, that, that actually was going to be my next question to you because, you, you know, I can speak from that experience too. Your perspective changes completely once you realize, oh, shit, I actually have to vote now. And uh, it, it definitely changes your mindset on some things. I would say, too, that um, you know there were definitely some people who uh, lobbied for you uh, to finally get a ballot. And I think it's time that uh, I think you should pay it forward. And I think that we all need to now lobby for Rich because uh, I think <laughs> I'm the next you know, on the list. I, I don't know how many more articles he has to write. I think I think what you have to do, Rich, uh, aside from people lobbying for you. Um, which I know some people have already, is uh, you have to write some New Japan reviews because that was clearly my door in, and that was clearly Brian Rose's door in. So stop assigning these things to other people and just write the damn New Japan reviews yourself. Well, he's got he's got an email from me. I, if, literally since the day the ballots came out, he's got an email from me every single okay. day. So <laughs> if that doesn't do it, I don't know what would. With the title of Hall of Fame in every single subject. Head, and so. all the pieces you've written. See, that's not working up i'm telling you right now you know he reads the new japan reviews we i know i know look at the google analytics he's reading them write the damn new japan reviews and that will be your ticket in but uh but yeah let's let's talk about this thing because we know we're gonna go about five hours here because me and dylan don't know how to shut up and uh and, and that's just yeah i'm not even gonna be here so you guys you guys got this i am gonna go watch baseball so, <laughs> so, so i'll check in every hour or so and see how it's going so so let's see i'm not even sure where to start why don't we start here because we've asked every guest this question and i know dylan's gonna have some strong thoughts on this what do you think of the new 1550 rule um i don't like it uh, I, 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 I understand the impetus behind it. I understand the idea that you want to clear out the cutter from the ballot, that there's certain guys that have been hanging around forever who, you know, it's like a shit or get off the pot type scenario. So I, I, I get it. I get the idea and the concept behind it. But I think it creates a bigger problem than the one it allegedly solves. Because, you know, we, we sort of talk about, and we'll get to this when we talk about some of the candidates, including a candidate who I know for a fact you and I agree on, Joe, and that's Edge. We, neither one of us really thinks he's all that strong of a candidate. But um, I think this is how Edge gets in. This, this is how Randy Orton gets in. 
what you, you know, you clear out all these guys who have solid support, but maybe aren't quite over the hump. And suddenly it clears a pathway for these people who are always going to vote for 10 people. It clears a pathway for these people to sort of ration. It makes it easier to rationalize and say, well, you know, uh, maybe I don't maybe these guys wouldn't have been a Hall of Famer in another era because there's not a point of comparison anymore. I mean, if you take, say, Dick Murdoch off the ballot and Randy Orton's there and there's no point of comparison to an older star from an older era, I think it's easier to sort of not think about it and just say, oh, I'm going to cast my lot with this guy because a lot of old timers think he's got think he's a really great worker. Um, I, I think it's re I, I really believe this is how this is the way you're going to shoehorn in a bunch of what I consider to be undeserving modern candidates. I'm not saying that's the intention behind it, because I don't think that is the intention. I think the intention is I don't know if I would use the word noble, but I think it's a, a reasonable idea. But I, I think it is a ultimately going to have a neg. Well, I think it has a very strong potential to have a negative effect in the sense that you're going to see a lot of guys who don't deserve getting in, or, or I feel like they're going to get in. And the other thing is, uh, you know, it, it does affect how I look at the ballot. You know, because I was on the fence. I mean, this show is going to be about about U.S. and Canada. And we'll focus on that almost exclusively, but. I was I was on the fence about voting for Lucha. Uh, you know, I, I've been I've been for the last year. I thought, man, if I get a ballot, am I going to vote for Lucha or not? And I sort of settled that I wasn't going to, even though I I love Lucha. I probably watch more Lucha than a lot of people who vote for it. I'm in contact with some of the biggest Lucha historians regularly or semi regularly. Um, I, I still just I didn't quite feel comfortable voting for some of these historic candidates. I, I just don't feel like I quite knew enough. Well, now that Ciancaris is on the chopping block, I mean, I think that's a huge indictment of the process if Karras falls off the ballot and can never come back on. So now I'm forced to vote for Lucha. I, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, as far as I'm concerned, I, I don't even really have a choice because I can't consciously let somebody who I think is one of the five or six at worst best names on the ballot fall off the ballot, especially when I know for a fact there are people who are less qualified than me voting in that category so sure. so I, I i will i will definitely vote for lucha now so in that regard it has absolutely changed how i look at the ballot um and, and that was kind of a, a surprise because I, like i said i'd sort of settled on the idea that i wasn't going to vote for lucha and when that rule came down i was like well crap and and on top of that i kind of agree with with bix david bixit's fan who you guys have had on recently a couple times in the sense that, uh, you know, if you're going to vote in that category, you have to vote for the death missionaries. So now I got two slots that I absolutely have to dedicate to Lucha. <laughs> you know? Yes, certainly. And, and I think we'll start off maybe talking a little bit about that, of the guys in this region who are in, you know, in danger of falling off. And I think the highlight is the Rock and Roll Express, who continue to sort of be on the cusp here. They're, you know, they're fourth among active wrestlers. They're ninth among the reporters. People sort of take it for granted of that the Rock and Roll Express should be in there. What are your thoughts on them? Do they fall off, or are you, you know, do you think there will be this charge? And maybe you personally, are you planning on voting for the Rock and Roll Express? Uh, I think the Rock and Roll Express are going to get in this year. I think they're going to be helped by the Michael Elliott documentary. Um, I also think that the, the you know, basically the, the fear of them falling off the ballot is going to push them all over the top. Um, more than that, I think they should be. In. I mean, you know, Joe talked about areas where he and I might agree more than people think. I think this is one of them. Uh, you know, I think both of us are very strong advocates of the Rock and Roll Express. I think they're one of the strongest uh, candidates on the ballot. 
uh, you know, to me, the mistake people make with the Rock and Roll Express is I think there's a tendency to look at them and compare them to the Midnight Express. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. You know, it's a it's a kind of an apples to apples comparison. They're both teams. Everybody associates them with each other because of their rivalry and their, their story feud over the years. Uh, to me, the Rock and Roll Express, if you want to see, look at a candidate who I think they're really comparable to, I compare them to Tiger Mask. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is you can make the argument that Tiger Mask was not the first dynamic high flyer in Japan. And he wasn't. I think Hamada preceded him, for example. But he was the one that popularized the style. He was the one that got over at a huge level. He was the one that everybody copied. He was the one that had this sort of dynamic influence uh, that went beyond just uh, his, his you know, relatively br brief blip in time. Now, the Rock and Roll Express, I think, have a little bit more of a sustained run, but not that much more of a sustained run. Um, and I think they're similar in the sense that, uh, you know, they, their influence is, I think, their strongest argument. Um, as with Sayama, I think you can, you can sort of find other arguments and, and aspects of a candidacy to bolster their candidacy, but I think they get into me on influence alone. Uh, you know, the draw, I think you can make a, a solid drawing power argument for them. Um, I think you can make a very solid in-ring argument for them. But to me, what makes them Hall of Famers is their influence. Uh, you know, <laughs> we have a term in wrestling called playing Ricky Morton, <laughs> you know, which is like how many guys have a term based around their ability. Sure. Like I, there's not very many, uh, you know, there's, to me, they are, not necessarily the best, uh, uh, the single best uh, candidate on the ballot, but they're pretty damn close. And I think they check off every box to one degree or another. I don't think they're quite Hall of Fame level draws, and I, uh, but I do think they're Hall of Fame level workers, and I do think they're Hall of Fame level influences, and I, I think they have enough of a drawing case where it's more of a positive than a negative. I have uh, nothing else to add. That is, <laughs> Joe. That, that is, is not what we hyped up. That is no, I do. I, that one is not. That, that is not, not not the good one to argue with. But that is literally everything I've been saying for two years, <laughs> I, right down to every nuance of every point that he just made. I believe they tick all three boxes. I believe the influence box is uh, is ticked strongly, as strong as anybody on the ballot. And I think they bring enough to the table as draws and uh, as workers that it's just icing on the cake. I have no idea how it hasn't happened yet. I thought they were going to get in regardless this year, just based on the upward momentum. But now that they're on the chopping block, I think that's going to push it over the top for sure. I am fully confident that they're getting in. And uh, I really don't think uh, there's too much more to add on this because our listeners have heard my thoughts and they, they basically just heard them again when Dylan repeated everything I've been saying for the last two let, years. Let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this real quick. Um, you know, because I want to make sure every segment goes at least 45 minutes. <laughs> did the, did the, uh, my theory is the reason that they that they have been in a sort of limbo state for so long is because they're a babyface team. And I, I think there's sort of a bias with hardcore fans toward heel acts, especially heel acts from the 80s. You know, hardcore fans, they sort of identify with your Ric Flair's, your Nick Bockwinkle, if you were from the AWA region. The Midnight Express were a super hardcore fan favorite. Do you think there's anything to that, or do you think I'm just projecting here? I've always thought that them being babyfaces has hurt them, and I'm just curious what you guys think about that. I think the fact that they're a tag team hurts them. There's just not a lot of tag teams that have gotten in. True. 
Um, I think it's 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 much harder to get in as a team. And if you look at the list of teams that are in, and I, we talked about this with Bix. I think there's what mm-hmm. uh, less than a half a dozen, right? I mean, as in as teams, I'm not talking about components of teams that are in. I'm talking about in as tag teams. You're talking about the Road Warriors. You're talking about uh, the Kangaroos. You're talking about uh, help me out here. There's only one, yeah, that's free, the other free, guys. Freebird, Midnight Family Express Rise Squad. Uh, Midnight Express. Uh, yep, that's it. I think that's it. so. You're talking about five or six. It's just there, there's been this. There, there's sort of this barrier with tag teams, and uh, you know I don't have any problem with the Rock and Roll Express being the sixth or seventh tag team to get in for all the reasons that we already talked about. The heel thing, the heel face thing. I really that's the first I've heard of a theory like that. So I'd, I'd have to put some thought into that. I'm not, I'm really not sure. It's just there's got to be something, and it's so hard to put a finger on exactly what it is because, I mean, as Dylan sort of mentioned there as well, you can almost just make the argument strictly on influence they should get it. I, I completely I mean, agree with that. That's thank you, Tag Team Wrestling. I mean, literally, Tag Team Wrestling posts, you know, it, it, it's it's maddening. It's it's so weird. How many teams copied them? I mean, like, you, I mean. Uh, every tag team like, <laughs> after it, that. And one, not, yeah. not just, I mean, like, the, I mean, the Rockers. The rock and roll RPMs, yep. the Southern, Southern rockers. rockers. I mean, there's yeah. there's a litany like, of even lesser known teams. Carbon copies, yeah. And, I mean, that that's a, an, an exact ripoff. Not like, there wasn't even nuance. There wasn't even a fucking attempt at nuance. <laughs> they you know? arguably have as many spinoff teams as the Road Warriors spawned. Yeah. I mean, it, it they're right there, neck and neck with them. Um, you know, and 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 that didn't and that didn't stop until recently. I mean, that went on well into the early part of the the previous decade. So. Of these teams popping up on the indie scene that were direct ripoffs, and let alone, um, you know, setting the template for the way you know American tag team matches were worked, uh, like we talked about previously, it it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but I re- I re- I'm really confident that that this is the year. Uh, mm-hmm. The 1550 so, yeah. will help them, and I I honestly thought they were going to get in before that anyway. Hey, maybe it's because Robert Gibson doesn't know what an O'Connor roll is. <laughs> That's Shit. probably what it is. Yeah, let's 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 go with that. Um, moving on to we'll move on to another uh, guy that. Um, also on the category or in danger of falling off is Dick Murdoch. He got uh, 46% last year. Uh, he's second among former wrestlers. Thoughts on Dick Murdoch? Are you voting for him, Dylan? And do you think he gets in this year? Let me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I've got a controversial position on Dick Murdoch because a lot of my good buddies, um, both people with ballots and without ballots, are big Dick Murdoch supporters. They, they see him as a slam dunk or are certainly close to a slam dunk. If you held a gun to my head and asked me, do you think Dick Murdoch is a Hall of Famer? I would say yes, if you if you absolutely force me to choose. But there's something that really bothers me about the way his candidacy gets talked about because, you know, when I decided I was going to start making the cases for people, I did a hell of a lot of research. And, and look, I don't expect anybody to do the level of research I did for, for a guy <laughs> like Kim Patera. I, I just don't expect that. But it bothers me that there's just this assumption that Dick Murdoch is an obvious pick. And I, 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 you know, and I'm talking about my friends here. I'm not even talking about people I don't like. These are people I get along with, talk to all the time. And to me, it bothers me that nobody's ever actually tried, that I can recall or remember anyway, in, in you know, literally uh, 16 years of debating this. I, I can't recall anybody making a case for Murdoch that was that had any sort of detail and sort of serious insight at all, and uh, I may be forgetting something. It's possible, and if if a listener can point me to something, that'd be great because I, I would love for him to maybe take one of my final slots. He's somebody I am considering, but until somebody makes that case, I'm not going to vote for him. 
because I don't think Dick Murdoch should coast just because there's an assumption that he's a Hall of Famer. I do think he's a good candidate. I think he's got positives. Um, but I don't necessarily think he's one of the 10 best guys on the ballot. And I, in order to be convinced of that, somebody's actually going to have to do the convincing. And convincing, that doesn't boil down to saying, well, he was a really great worker. I need a hell of a lot more than that. Somebody's going to have to seriously do the work like you've done with some of your pieces, Rich, for example, and say, Let, let's let's look at this guy. Let's look at his pluses and minuses, and let's mm-hmm. discuss it seriously. And I don't think that's been done with Murdoch. So my position on Murdoch is kind of uh, my position on Lou Albano before he went in was that I'm kind of an agnostic. You know, I, I and until sure. somebody forces me to believe, I'm not going to vote for him. And, and there's a finite number of picks as well, which, which changes the whole game. I mean, obviously, as you said, a gun to your head, is he a Hall of Famer, you'd put him in there. But it's not that easy with, you know, X amount that you can vote for. I mean, you need people need to convince you that he should replace somebody. And I, I, I'm with you. I haven't seen a lot on there. I just kind of see him taking for granted. Joe, what are your thoughts, uh, Dick Murdoch? I mean, you know, it, he's stealing my thunder again. I really don't have a ton to add. I'm okay, then, you know what, guys? No. <laughs> you, you, I'm, I'm you're closing gonna, this down. You're going to have to start letting me go first so I can uh, – <laughs> Yeah, um, let, let's – okay. You're, you're first next. I'm the next guy. You're, uh, but, uh, no, I, I, I don't – What's your hot own, own heart take? I'm not going to vote for him, and um, I didn't vote for him last year, and I'm not going to vote for him again. I, I kind of see him uh, – again, I don't, I don't want to cover the same ground Dylan just did, so I'll kind of approach it from a different angle. Um, I'm not going to vote for him for the same reason I'm not going to vote for Ivan Koloff or Ken Patera. Or, uh, or even Sergeant Slaughter, who was a guy that I, that I put some thought into but uh, have decided to go no. I just um, – th- the bottom line for me is the, the gun to the head theory that, that, that Dylan used uh, to, uh, at the beginning of, uh, of his reasoning. All of those guys fail that test for me. If you put a gun to my head, I, I can't put those guys in. Now, if Dick Murdoch got in, it wouldn't offend me. I, I, it wouldn't bother me if he got in. I wouldn't think it was uh, some kind of an egregious mistake by 60% of the voters. Uh, but for me personally, there's just not enough there. All right. Well, we'll move on to uh, another guy who is going to fall off and one that I don't think we're going to have much debate. Unless, Joe, you want to make up a debate about him to make this a little bit more interesting. Well, well it'll get interesting here in a sec. But Owen Hart uh, is also in danger. 21% last year. Joe, any... I mean, I mean, we don't he's need not, to, I mean, He's fallen off the ballot. He's 100% yeah, it, going to be uh, off of the ballot because he's not going to, he's never been close to 50%. Uh, he's never, you know, he's, he's, there's no argument you can make that he was a draw, you know, you know, it, it, it's a Hall of Fame level draw and, uh, you know, influence, you don't see much there. It's, it, he's a 100% or as close to a 100% work candidate as you're going to get. And as much as I love him as a worker, I think we, look, you're supposed to weigh the three uh, areas equally, drawing power, uh, working ability, and uh, um, the influence. But I think we all fall into the trap of sort of weighing the drawing component a little bit heavier uh, because it is a business about drawing money, and, and we just we all lean that way. And, and, and I think the results have, have bared that. I, there just aren't a ton of strictly work rate candidates uh, in the Hall of Fame. I mean, mm-hmm. you could argue that there's a couple, but there's certainly more guys that got in strictly on their drawing ability. And, uh, you know, Hart's not a guy who's going to sort of break that mold and get in strictly on his working ability, you know, no matter how good you thought he was. I mean, he's not someone even on my radar. He's one of the first names that I instantly eliminate uh, from even possibly voting for dylan any any differential there or you're kind of i'm imagining in the same boat i, I mean 
to me, Owen Hart is like um, kind of like the WWF version of Arn Anderson uh, in the sense that I think he is a wrestler that everybody likes, uh, and not just because he died. You know, I, I think I, I think he's somebody to one degree or another. Everybody sort of likes Owen. He's a likable guy. Uh, he did, you know, he was a good worker, very consistent worker. Um, you know, I, I think he is someone who you can make an argument that he was sort of underrated and has been historically underrated in the sense that at times I think he maybe had more value to the promotion than he's given credit for. I'm thinking of the U.S.-Canada feud in 97, sure. the, the feud with his brother in 94, including SummerSlam 94, where they did, you know, they also did the Taker versus Taker match at that show, if I'm not mistaken, but I believe that did a pretty good oh, yeah. buy rate. <laughs> um, so you, you, you can make arguments sort of on the margins that, you know, oh, maybe Owen was a little bit better than some people give him credit for. But A nice backbone in that 95-96 era as well. But the, Yeah, but I mean, honestly... And I say this without any – I'm in no way am I you know, saying this for the sole purpose of, of being controversial. There's probably 300 people who aren't on the ballot who are as good or better candidates mm-hmm. than Owen Hart. And, and um, that doesn't mean he didn't have a good career, but he's I – don't, I don't even think the people who vote for him really see him as a Hall of Famer. I really don't. I, I, I can't – let me put it this way. Uh, this is, and this will be elitist, but I really don't give a shit. If you think, if you think <laughs> that's going to be on your tombstone, if, you, if you think Owen Hart is a Hall of Famer, you really shouldn't be voting. Like I, I, I I'm not, I'm not saying that sure. to be a jerk. I, I, yeah. I just, you shouldn't be voting. You know, and I say that as somebody who, and this is something I'll bring up a little bit later, actually, which is where are our personal thresholds? Because that's something I wanted to ask both you guys about. But I don't, I think Owen should fall behind below any reasonable threshold. I, I don't, I think you really have to make a huge stretch. To, to get him over that the the lip, I, I don't think it's possible. I think Owen was. I, I do consider him a great worker, but but here's the problem with that. You know, you also have to have opportunities, whether that's fair or not. Yep. And and he really didn't have a ton of opportunities, other than the feud with Brett, to really shine and have really great classic matches. I mean, he had a couple with Liger. He had a couple with Brett. Uh, if you really want to dig deep and 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 go back to Stampede when he was 20 years old or whatever, you, okay, I'll even buy that. But other than that, what opportunity did he have? And unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's part of it because you look at a guy like uh, Steven, you know, William Regal, uh, another guy. I mean, the opportunity just and I, no one's going to deny that he wasn't a great worker. But where was the opportunity to have those matches that are burned in everybody's brain as classics? And it's morbid, too, but there's a longevity thing there as well where, you know, if, if he had just retired two years ago or whatever, we'd have a larger body. We don't have that. We have a, a relatively short career compared with most of these other guys. So I, I, I'm there as well. I just Here's don't, the thing. Uh, but he was winding down, too. I mean, it, you know, it, yeah. I, I don't buy the idea that he was going to retire in six months. I think that's stuff. Look, he may have honestly thought that and his wife may have honestly thought that, but we all know how it works. I mean, I, I don't I don't buy the idea he was on the verge of retiring and all that. But either way, he was winding down. I do think his best stuff was probably behind him. And he, he was he, he definitely wasn't going to get another chance to have, you know, some kind of main event run where he was going to have you know, all-time classic matches. I mean, I don't know. We're spending way too much time on him because <laughs> he, he just doesn't – he's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Look, you can be a great wrestler and not be a Hall of Famer. Yes, that's true. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to Junkyard Dog, who's making his reappearance on the ballot. Do we know exactly when he Do- fell Dog, off? I know there were- Dog was never on the ballot. 
Oh, he was never, never on. on. Okay, that's weird. Yeah, we we, we were kind of curious on uh, that uh, last time. So he's never been on. Never. All right, interesting. Yeah. Well, well, that's actually kind of crazy. I just assumed that he was because why? Yeah, me too. We kind of thought he fell off in like '96 well, or something, it, or you know, '97, or you know. Keep in mind, guys. It, 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 I, like. <laughs> If I had not just sort of off the cuff been skimming through the Wikipedia entry for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame and gone, where the hell's Jimmy Hart? <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't even think Jimmy Hart would be on the ballot right now. Don't, don't get me started on we that. Talked about, yeah, we talked about that. Oh, Vic, I know. So I listened to it. It was a great show. But it's like, oh, yeah. unbelievable. Th there's some guys who you would assume had been on the ballot who just haven't, and I think Jimmy Hart and JYD might be the best two examples. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Junkyard Dog, here's what it comes down to for him. It really comes down to what you think of his drawing record for, for Watts. Because there's some ancillary things there. For example, you might put a little bit of weight into the fact that he might have, could have been, might have been, sort of been the number two WWF babyface for like, I don't know, six months to a year, maybe possibly. You know, it, you might put some stock into that. You might put some, you know, whenever you think of what he did, you know, in Calgary. In turn, but but it, it, it's really going to boil down to uh, what you make of this drawing record in, in, in Mid-South. If you think that's a Hall of Fame-worthy drawing record, you think he's a Hall of Famer. If you don't, he's not, because there's really not much else there. No one's putting him in for his work. Uh, influence, I can buy an influence argument. Uh, that even extends into MMA, if you want to look at someone like Quentin Jackson, who's a carbon copy of the guy. But um, it really just it comes down to that Watts run and, and what you think of that. I mean, here's the thing. Um... I understand the arguments that people make against the junkyard dog. Um, I, I, I can't, uh, well, I can be critical of them, but I, I don't really want to because I think there's a, to me, this is how I look at it. From 1980 to 1985, the United States just in general, a lot of territories were doing great business in the United States, Canada, Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico was doing great business. Montreal was doing great business. Toronto was still doing well. Um, uh, actually, Portland, of all places, was doing very good business for parts of that. The AWA was on fire for parts of that, for big parts of that. The WWF was on fire. Mid-Atlantic was doing great. Memphis had really its last great run during that time frame. Uh, World Class had its absolute peak during that time frame. If you, if, but if you really, if you consider drawing power as sort of a, 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 a you know, a combination of being able to, t to pop a territory, in other words, take a territory that was on its ass or that was limited, and make it something big, as well as drawing big houses, as well as setting records, as well as being consistent in doing all these things, okay? Which to me, that's like the, the, the ideal total package of a draw. I mean, you could look at Bob Backlund and say, well, Bob Backlund sold out X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but he was, he, what he did was what a bunch of other people had done before him in New York. That doesn't mean he doesn't deserve to be a Hall of Famer. It just means he didn't pop the territory. The territory was already popped. He sustained it. I think you can make a strong case that the Junkyard Dog was the biggest draw in the United States and Canada in, between 1980 and 1985 from a cumulative perspective. And there is absolutely no way I can't vote for somebody who was the biggest draw in the United States for that time period. There, I, like, like it, it would be... If, this was, if we were talking about uh, 86 to, to 90, or, you know, that's different. Uh, the territories were all dying. There, were, there was no, nowhere near as vibrant a, a national scene. Um, you're really looking at two, maybe three promotions of any note during that time period that were doing any kind of business. Um, 
But you're talking about a period where a lot of territories were doing really good business. And you can make a very strong case that dog was the number one draw in the United States during that period, and maybe even in the world during that period from a cumulative perspective. Um, it really, I mean, yes, it does depend on, on what you, you know, how you look at the, uh, the overall uh, draw. Do you just go by biggest crowds, for example, which I think is a faulty metric? Do you just go by who popped a territory, which I think uh, has a lot of value, but I don't think you should look at that solely in isolation, although that would benefit dog more than anything, frankly. Um, to me, you look at all those factors, and you tell me who's better, especially because dog, it wasn't like a Freebirds Von Eric situation where these guys fed off each other. Ultimately, I give the Freebirds more credit for that because they're the ones that came in and popped it. But they needed the Von Erichs there. I mean, it, it's not like if they were going to go, they were going to go into world class and wrestle uh, Al Madrill, <laughs> whoever the fuck, and, and 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 do what they did. JYD was able to do it against a variety of opponents, some of whom weren't that hot. And uh, you know, he carried that promotion. And I, I think the WWF stuff helps him a little. But to me, it's not that dissimilar from Jimmy Hart in the sense that he makes his case on those four to five years when he was super hot in Mid-South and the biggest game in town. And, and uh, to me, I can't not vote for the guy. I can't. I can't. Uh, even, even recognizing there are flaws, I can't not vote for a guy with that record. Is he a better worker? I'm sorry. Is he a better draw than Owen Hart is a worker? Yes. I, I, I don't even think it's debatable. And I like Owen as a worker. You know, that's not that's not in, in no way is that meant to demean Owen Hart. It's just to me, J New Orleans was on its ass before Junkyard Dog. I mean, they weren't doing any business. And it and it arguably was the hottest wrestling city in the United States when the Junkyard Dog was on top. I mean, it went from being a a a town that really didn't do well at all to the hottest wrestling town in the United States, or at least arguably the hottest wrestling town in the United States. And there's only one reason for that. The junkyard dog. <laughs> How often was he on top in Calgary? Uh, I don't think a whole lot. Uh, they, they, you know, he did see Calgary's tough too because Cal Calgary, I don't think was doing very well at all at that point anyway. So it's like, even if he was on top, how much value do you really put in it? I don't know. Well, here and, and then and then uh, a similar question. Then you know, how often did he headline the B and C shows when he got to WWF? We know that didn't last long. Uh, uh, a good, it, it, you know, it, 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 he did headline a good bit. Um, now, the question, and, and I this is I'm glad you mentioned this because we have to be careful when we talk about B and C shows. Because yes, it's true that the non-Hogan crew was effectively the B or C team in the sense that the biggest star wasn't there. But the WWE or WWF was very smart about putting strong feuds and strong guys. And it's not like these guys were wrestling in Sioux City. You know, these guys were wrestling in the big buildings. Yeah. These guys were wrestling in the big markets. So that's why I think it's deceptive to talk about it as a B or C uh, shows. I mean, we see a guy like Edge who gets credit for, quote, carrying SmackDown. But right. but what Edge did to me is not as impressive as say you know what uh, what the WWF did in Detroit where they took a dead town and they were able to sell it out for the first time in like ten years, not with Hulk Hogan but with a double main event of Greg Valentine and Tito Santana uh, and uh, Ken Patera and Big John Studd versus Andre and I believe JYD. 
So to, to me, that's a bigger, that's more impressive than Edge, you know, main eventing, a, a, you know, for three months on SmackDown. <laughs> when, it, when, it, when it cooled off a little later on, the sea shows were pretty weak. They were headlined by mid-card uh, yes. feuds in 2,000 seat buildings and whatnot. But what you're, say- yeah, what you're saying is correct. At the time when Junkyard Dog was on top of those shows, all three of the tours were, were, were relatively strong compared to when it, it weakened later on. And eventually the, that's, that the sea tour just was eliminated. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a tricky deal. I think uh, it really comes down, like I said, what you think of that. Well, I'm still uh, firmly on the fence. I really don't know which way I'm going. I'm, I tend to be a very conservative voter. Uh, so I, I, I really don't know yet. I mean, you, you said some things that have compelled me. Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with him being the absolute strongest draw in the country from 80 to 85. I'd have to look at some of that myself, but it's definitely – you know, I think he'd be in the conversation. I don't know. He's definitely someone who I'm on the fence, but leaning yes. All right, we'll move on uh, right down the list here. We'll look at Edge. He uh, received the exact same amount of uh, percentage of votes, rather, uh, 2012, 2013, both 37%. Joe, I'll start with you. Thoughts on Edge as a contender? I just don't see it. I think he's um, overrated as a worker, number one. Um, I think By who? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I mean, give me one name of a prominent. I mean, no, give me one prominent person who overrated. Well, I mean, let's talk Joe. about it. I mean, you know, yeah, everybody, it's it's clear. Everybody yeah. likes who they like, and everyone. I think if everyone's being honest, we all have people that we like more than other people do, and uh, we all know that that Dave Meltzer really, really liked Edge's matches a lot, just like he really likes Randy Orton more than a lot of people do, and. Uh, Look, you know, that that's fine. I mean, I'm not ripping him for that. It's just I think he likes those two guys more than other people. So what if you're looking at things like star ratings and, 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 and things of that nature, if you put any sort of weight into that, you have to remember and consider that he did have a higher opinion of Edge's work than most other people did. And that's why I've been pushing Chris Harrington. Easy for me to say because I'm not doing the work. But I've been pushing Chris to kind of go out and get other sets of star ratings from other sources. I, you know, Wade Keller did star ratings for years. Uh, no matter what you think of Scott Keith, it's another resource. Go grab it. Uh, look around. Find other resources. Get other opinions. And, and I think get a bigger picture because, uh, you know, we all respect Dave to, to varying degrees. But it really is just one man's opinion when it comes to these match ratings, especially when it comes to someone like Edge. And, um, you know, I never – I didn't – you know, look, he, he popped the one TV rating. You know, but, but how much of that was due to him and how much of that was the first time the Money in the Bank gimmick uh, came into mm-hmm. play? I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, and there was a, there, there, there also was that special rating, too, of uh, what are they going to do? They, they promised someone's going to be naked or there's going to be sex on TV. I mean, let, let's be honest. It wasn't solely because it was that. Well, that was, a, was, that was a separate show, though, too, wasn't it? Was that the same show? Or was that no, that's a, the live sex celebration one is what uh, you're thinking the same, of, correct? Uh, that was all one show? I, I don't... Yeah, I believe so. That was that was after he cashed in, correct? I, I might be wrong. Maybe Am I missing a week there? Or? Shows. I, I think the week after he cashed in, he popped the rating. I'd have to look at and that. And then uh, the live sex was uh, was was a second. Was it? But the the bottom line is whether it was one show or two shows. I you know I I don't I, I don't know. I think he's overrated as a worker, and uh, I I I don't I never viewed him as anybody who was carrying anything. I don't know where that idea came from. Uh, this idea of carrying. It was the following night. It, it was the same. Okay, night. it was the same night. Uh, it's in a five point two rating, the highest rating in over a year. So. I mean, this idea of carrying SmackDown. What does that even mean? 
I mean, smack, from what my recollection of that era, uh, and I could be wrong, is that the Latinos carried SmackDown. It was, you know, it, 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 the big Latino viewership tuning in to see Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero more than anything else. And Batista. And Batista, well. yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't see him as a, as a, as a viable. I, he's someone who it would bother me if it got in. There's a lot of guys here where it wouldn't bother me. It would bother me if Edge got in the Hall of Fame. He's going to get in. I'm telling you. I'm, I, 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 don't, I don't think it's going to be this year, but he will get in. And, and um, he shouldn't get in. And I don't think he's a good candidate. And uh, you know what? Here, you know, here's the thing about Edge. A lot of these guys, people say, well, you're looking back. You're looking for things you want to see, either pro or con in these candidacies. I lived through Edge's entire career. I watched all of it in real time. At no point during the career of Edge did I think this guy's a Hall of Famer. Sure, not, at any, right. not at any point. Now, was there a point in 05 and 06 where I thought he was a compelling character and a, and a, and a, you know, a solid star and somebody I enjoyed watching? Absolutely. Did that last for much longer than that? No, it did not. Um, I mean, yes, to a degree, this comes down to how good you think Edge is in the ring. Uh, but my, I, I always sort of question that because how many people – and I disagree with Joe a little bit here in the sense that I don't think it's just Dave, because I think there's a lot of people that are really high on edge, much higher than I am. But but how many how many people really think edge is an all timer? And, and not only that, but, you know, this kind of speaks to my threshold discussion that I wanted to bring up. Maybe this is a, a good time to bring it up. How good of a worker do you have to be before work can be the primary consideration of your candidacy? Uh, top 50? You know what I mean? Top third? Like. How how good do you – I mean some people don't think in terms of that, but like how good do you have to be? Because I, I really wonder how many of Edge's biggest advocates, particularly the people that are advocating him as a performer, really see him as a all-time level performer? I, I, I mean I'm not saying they don't. I just – I don't get that feeling from a lot of them. I think, I think that's sort of um, – they definitely see him as a, a guy who was a star. And they see him as a guy who they really like, but I, I do. Would they be? Would he be an upper tier guy for? I mean, for somebody like Alan, you know, who's a friend of all of ours, you know, like, does Alan actually see Edge as a guy who's an all-time level in-ring performer? I, I, I don't think anybody does. I mean, and to answer your question, how good do you have to be to get either get in on work or have work be the main, you know, uh, uh, your your biggest check mark? Well, the answer to that is you have to be better than Edge. I would hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, can we just be honest here? I mean, wait, I mean, all right, you know, the guy was tremendous, falling off the ladders, and he was, you know, he had a nice little tag team run, and uh, you know, he had some uh, nice facials as a heel, and you know, he can, uh, he could feed and bump, okay, I guess, but I, I never, and like you're saying, this is someone we all lived through, and I, right. I never, and 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 we'll, I'll ask Rich when I'm done ranting. I never thought of him as even one of the best in his own company, let alone one of the best workers in the business or, or let alone of all time while I was watching him. Yeah, I, I'm right with you on that. And, and that's, again, you know, lived right through it. You know, big fan of the entire way. Yeah, you, you have that little TLC period. You have all that period. And that's where he racked up a lot of those, you know, what would be considered high rated and, and, and high start, especially by Meltzer, you know, I actually looked it up as we were doing it. He has 47 four-star better matches, which is, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm looking at a few as, as we're kind of talking to to sort of rank him. Uh, you know where he fits with other guys that we consider you know real good workers. But yeah, I mean that, it's the same thing where 
yeah, he was fine. I enjoyed him and in those various periods where he, quote, carried SmackDown or whatever. But I'm right with you, Joe. Even at the time, I never thought that this guy, I never said to myself, this guy is the best worker in this business. I never thought, or, or, or in this company, I never at any point said, this guy is the biggest star in this company. And I mean, the influence, I, I, what influence there's do we no, have? There's this, no influence. There's I mean, there's influence. none. I mean, there's That's zero. Don't argue for argue. that. But I agree. No, I, I, I 100% agree. I, I, I see that. no influence. Yeah. I, I hate that people, like, the, one of my biggest pet peeves with all, Hall of Fame discussions is, and look, we all do our lobbying, and there are all guys that were easier on than other guys. That's just the nature of the beast. I, I, I'm not going to bullshit about that. We try, I think we, uh, ideally you try to be fair, but you're going to have some degree of bias. It's impossible to eliminate that. But what I really hate is when you get a guy who people were a fan of, and they try and shoehorn in the influence argument as a, as a way to bolster a candidacy. Edge had no influence. Okay. I've never, now, I, have you heard an influence argument? Not, I've, I've never oh, heard I one. Sure yeah, have. I have not. I've yeah, I have not. Say, well, what were they? Because I'm curious. He, he got over the money in the bank gimmick, for example. Is something well, whoever was first was going to get that over. I've heard that. I've heard uh, Edge was one of the first guys who, who uh, sort of uh, cleared the hurdle of being a good worker who was pushed up top. Which isn't even true. I mean, the, the, like, wait, wait a minute. Go, what about Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, Bret Hart a couple years earlier? Those people just started watching in 2006. Bret, I'm assuming. I mean, what about Randy Savage? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I mean give me a break. this is this is this is crazy talk. But these are the kind of things you hear, okay? Yeah. And 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 this <laughs> maybe he's a, maybe he's the first example of a guy who was just barely a good worker who got pushed <laughs> on being just barely a good worker. I can almost the, buy that one. The, I mean, here here's the thing, okay? If you want. It, if Edge, I, I really believe, and, I, and I'm not accusing Alan of this, I'm not accusing Dave Meltzer of this, I'm not accusing my buddy Dave Musgrave of this, who's also an Edge supporter, but I do think there are a lot of people who really want to find modern candidates that are good enough to put in. And I, I, I think there is a tendency, it's funny, because some people say, will accuse people like myself of being too hard on the modern candidates. You know, oh well, you know, you 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 are too hard to him. You you hold him to standards that are unfair that you would never hold these old guys to. Um, and, and at times that might even be true. I'll I'll even say that flat out. I try not to, but it's possible that that's true. But I think the opposite is much more common, where people try and find cases for the guys they like in real time, and uh, they'll they'll cling to any argument they could possibly cling to. I mean. Look at look at Edge's WrestleMania record. How many times was he in a well promoted? Now, if you want to argue that you, you liked the matches and, like, and thought the matches were good, fine. But I'm talking about matches that were promoted as serious main events on those shows. For a guy who's supposedly, in the eyes of some people, a, 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 a slam dunk, he really does not have an impressive record. I mean, when I think of guys from this era, obviously seen as number one. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. But Edge, to me, isn't number two. I'm not sure he's number three. I mean, I'd put Batista for sure ahead of him. I was just uh, going to say, I think Batista's a stronger candidate, sure. and he fell off. And, you know, so, so, and I don't really see Edge as a number, I mean, you know, and not only that, the longevity argument. I mean, I've seen people make longevity arguments. The guy was hurt a lot. Longevity, I mean, there's a guy like Ken Patera who we'll get to soon enough, who most people see as like, oh, he didn't have a lengthy career or, or as a star. Kim Patera was a star for 12 and a half years. That's basically longer than Edge's 
career was if you factor out injuries. I mean, it's crazy. Like I, I, I to me, he is a very, um, he's a very modern candidate in the sense that there are people who really want a modern guy to get in, and he was on top a lot. And you can sort of craft arguments based on what I think are, are really silly interpretations of the landscape of wrestling when he was a star and, and find a way to justify him as a candidate. But he's one of these guys like Sting that the more I look at his candidacy, the weaker I think it is. Well, yeah, because you can you can you can bring up, uh, you know, the stupid amount of title reigns that he had with all the combined title runs in an era where they were just tossing the title, all the titles around like like, you know, none of none of those things mean anything. But people will toss that number around. You can probably point to the number of uh, pay-per-views that he main evented. That'll probably look more impressive than it really is because they were running one paper. You know, there were points during his career where they were running, you know, more than one pay-per-view per month in that company. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's things you can use to prop him up. Uh, you know, the, the, the four-star-plus matches that Rich was talking about, which, first of all, the person rating those matches just happens to really like the guy. And the other thing is the person who happens to be rating those matches watches every single match from that company that makes tape as opposed to the other companies around the world where he just doesn't have time to watch it all. So that props up the number a little bit. So you're absolutely right about that. There are ways to prop up his case and make it look more impressive than it is. I don't see him. I, I, have, I am mystified that he gets almost 40% of the vote and Batista falls off. And keep in mind, I didn't vote for Batista last year either, but I think he's a stronger candidate than Edge. Totally agree. I think Batista is actually pretty easily a stronger candidate than Edge. I, w- I wouldn't vote for him. But I think he's a stronger candidate than Edge. And, and, and he's another guy, Dylan, before we move on to, to kind of the next guy here, is that uh, you sort of mentioned with Dick Murdoch is that people – I hear the Edge argument. I hear there's some stuff, but I need someone to really go deep into and, and really start to look at Edge before I even think about him. Because there's a lot of people that you said, like Joe mentioned, they'll throw out championships and main events. And, you know, he has a, an okay track record at WrestleMania and some big matches or whatever. But let's, let's really start looking at Edge and see what impact he had – Beyond just because, I mean, I don't think the in-ring is enough. You know, they, so let's really start working you, on the draw. How can people yeah. say that he carried anything? What, what, where, what, what did he ever carry? Explain. I, uh, uh, what did I, he carry? Because he, because he, because uh, he went on the last segment of some SmackDowns. Where's the big WrestleMania match? Like Dylan said, where is it? There, I mean, there's, there's the one against the Undertaker. Yeah, uh, on, on a show, yeah. on a show where you had Flair's retirement. And right, Mayweather. I agree. Oh yeah, like yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm not. I mean, don't get me wrong. He didn't sell that one. Yeah, there was the um, what was it? The uh, the, the triple threat uh, in Houston. I don't remember the number twenty, but obviously that had the Undertaker, Shawn what, Michaels. The, uh, what the um, shampoo match with Booker T? I mean, oh, that one was great. What are we, uh, hey, what are we hey. Talking about here, if you want to tell me yeah, that no. this guy carried one of the shows, then why wasn't he? Ever, give me the number two match on WrestleMania he was in. Give it to me. It, it, exactly. I mean, that's that's my that's that's the point. You can't find. He, he's not near the level of star that people would have you believe he is. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, now, if you're, somebody, if you're somebody who has a low threshold for what's a Hall of Famer, okay. But don't try and elevate this guy into some serious, b- excellent candidate. I mean, come on. I mean, that's even, a good to, point. You know, if you're voting for Dick Murdoch and you're voting for Ken Patera and you're voting for Ivan Koloff and you're voting for Junkyard Dog and you're voting for Batista last year, I can buy it if you vote for Edge. But, I mean, if you're not voting for all those guys, because what, what makes him a better candidate than a Dick Murdoch or an Ivan Koloff? I, I mean, uh, really, what, I'd love nothing. to hear an argument for that. Nothing. He's not anywhere near as good a candidate as either. And, 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 and we'll talk about that here in a second if you'd like. But he's not anywhere near as good a candidate as either, in my opinion. 
All right, move on to another guy who I don't think is going to get too much traction and, and one that's sort of always a, a interesting one to me. It's Kurt Hennig, who uh, 2013, he had 30%. 2012, he had 22%. Dylan, I'll start with you. I mean, he, there, there's a 30% that vote for him. I, I, I'm a huge fan. I love the guy, but no. I, I, he's a very clear no to me. Uh, memorable gimmick in the WWF that I think we all loved as kids, you know, or, or even as adults, depending on how old you are and where you grew up, I guess. But um, uh, I thought an excellent in-ring worker from at least 1982 to 1988. Uh, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of his WWF run as in the ring, oddly, but I, I think in Portland and the AWA, I think he was really very good. Uh, uh, but here's the thing, uh, you know, one of my big com uh, complaints about Edge is Edge never really gets compared to other people. Like nobody would compare Edge to Lex Luger because if they did, they'd discover that Lex Luger and Edge have a whole lot in common. And if anything, Luger's a better candidate. Well, with Hennig, what makes Hennig a better candidate than Rick Martel other than the fact that Rick Martel didn't die? Like, I, I like, I, I and, and look, Rick Martel's not a Hall of Famer. But what makes Kurt Hennig a better candidate for the Hall of Fame than Rick Martel? Okay. Um, and and I'm, the reason I throw out Martel is because he was another guy that was an AWA champion kind of after that meant anything. Although the, the, the title meant something still when Martel won the belt. Um, he's another guy that uh, was, a, was a very good worker during the, basically the exact same time period. Actually maybe had a little bit more longevity in some ways. Um, He's another guy that I don't think was as good in the ring once he got to the WWF. You know, neither guy to me is a Hall of Famer. Um, my question is, like, if you if you look at Henning, what makes him a better candidate than somebody like a Rick Martel who's not even on the ballot and who I don't think would get any support if he was on the ballot? And um, I don't want to say it's all because he's dead, because I think Henning was on the ballot before he died. But it's just hard to explain. It's, it's hard for me to fathom what the difference is. I mean, is it all the WWF gimmick? I mean, people forget. Hennig was one of the few guys who Hogan really didn't draw that well with. If you can't draw with Hulk Hogan in the WWF, you damn sure don't belong in the Hall of Fame. That was my ace in the hole for when it was my turn, so I'm going to jump in. <laughs> that, that was the, I'm just going to interrupt you here. That was, the, that was Hogan's worst drawing program of that yeah. of the of the Hogan of the era that we all know, the Hulkamania era. The worst drawing program was against Kurt Hennig. So you may continue. Yeah, I mean, but that's you know, I mean, Paul Orndorff couldn't get any traction on the ballot. You know, uh, uh, I don't even know. Yeah, that one confuses me. I mean, it, I, you know, Orndorff drew a hell of a lot better uh, than Kurt Henning did under, you know, pretty similar, you know, same opponent. Uh, you know, it, it, you know it, Hogan was a little hotter then. I mean, let's be honest. He was starting true. to cool off by, by 90 or 89 or whatever that was, 89, 90. I guess it was the end of 89, beginning of 90, right? So, yeah. uh, but, but I mean, you know, Orndorff's a guy, like you said, he can't even stay on the ballot. Meanwhile, Henning gets pretty decent support. We're talking around 30%. And I, um, I understand I understand that people think Henning's a great worker. I do, too, at, at his peak. But, uh, I mean, like, was Hennig, again, this sort of speaks to my argument, was, was Hennig a good enough worker for those, even if you believe the Mr. Perfect run was really good, was, was, was Hennig, which I don't, but was he really a good enough worker for those 10 or 11 years? where that supersedes all the other problems he has as a candidate? I, I just I don't will, see how. I will say this. I, there were there was a period of three or four years 
where he was in the conversation of whether he may have been the best worker in North America and well, Canada and the United States. I say North America, but let's leave Mexico out of this. Um, look, I'll say this about him. This Mr. Perfect was my personal favorite wrestler as a kid. That 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 was my favorite. He may still be my favorite, either him or Kenta, one or the other to this day, uh, is my favorite wrestler of all time. And I I, I still cannot put together a Hall of Fame resume for him. I I'm just, right with you, yeah. I just can't do it. I mean, um, and I like his work a little bit better than Dylan in the WWF just based on the way uh, Dylan described his feelings towards it. I think he was okay in the WWF. I don't think um, – you know, it, 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 but there's still no way I could formulate a Hall of Fame argument. I just can't. That it's a huge, huge, huge negative to him uh, that that he was Hulk Hogan's worst drawing program during that. That is a huge. Ne- the, the only way you could have put together an argument for him is if that program had done well, and it just didn't, and they had to get away from it. And uh, and from there, you know, he was a, a nice upper mid card guy for the rest of his run. But that kind of sealed his fate for me. I mean. I don't really hold the AWA – you know, they were a dying company by the time they put them on. So I don't hold any of that against them. But the Hogan the Hogan run, I do. I, I have to hold that against them. Yeah, and, and I'm, a, I'm a relatively big – like you, Joe, I, I really enjoyed Mr. Perfect. and I, I even liked the WF run a lot, and there was a lot of matches in there that I liked. But even then, you're talking about – You know, how the the body of work is not, I mean, even if in the perfect world, if you want to be the biggest Mr. Perfect fan in the world and and, and really loved that run or whatever, you have, what, two years, you know, 90 to early 93 of him being like, I mean, that's it. And even in that period, I can only probably name maybe five or six matches that I really loved. A little earlier than that. It'd be like 87. Well, no, I'm talking, no, no, no. I'm talking strictly in the, I'm I'm saying if you're just that, like, so sort of talk about me of of a really super, you know. I wouldn't say a super casual, but in that sense of people that just saw his WWF run, I'm saying if you're just enthralled with the Mr. Perfect run and that character, even then you're getting a three years there. And that's not enough, I don't think. And it wasn't that good of a three years to say, yeah, boom, done. He's in there, and he did nothing the rest of his career to make that any better. I mean, his WCW run was horrendous. You know, it took off a number of years. I mean, you're really in, in a perfect world. If you're really going to be this, you're talking, as you said, you can add that 86 to 93 is it? And was that body of work in ring enough to do anything? I No, uh, I don't can, think so. Can I say this, though? I'll tell you yeah. what. You can at least make an argument that somewhere between 86 and 91, he was at least in the conversation uh, of one of the best workers in, in the United States at that time, something Edge never was. Well, and, I yeah. also, and, I, and I can also tell you that if he had worked in Edge's era, he probably would have had a similar role to Edge. And a, Oh, yeah, and, and people always say that about Mr. Perfect, that he was a little bit ahead of his time where, you know. But, but, but you know, I, yeah. it is, I don't even see Edge as a significantly better candidate than him. Maybe a little bit, uh, but, but, but I, I don't consider Henning at all. I, I Here's the thing, okay? Hennig, Hennig, like, I think Martell was, you, I think you can make a case for Rick Martell was a top five worker in the United States from 80 to 85. I'm not saying he'd, he'd make my top five, but I think you can make the case. I think you can make the case that Hennig was a top five worker in the United States from 86 to 90, okay? I'm not saying I would, I would vouch for that, but I, you can make the case. That's not enough. I mean, b- look at Barry Windham. Barry right, Windham, right. at his peak, was a tremendous wrestler. Ever, everybody, every, I mean, like, Universe, both with his peers, fans, everybody thought he was great. Barry Windham's another guy. He ain't even getting on the ballot. Okay, mm-hmm. like you know, to me, you know, this is this is why this is why to to get at this point, um, this is why I can't vote for anybody just on work. 
Like, I, I can't do it. Whether you're supposed to weigh somebody equally or not, I can't vote for somebody just on work because of instances like this. You, 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 you have to have more than just work for me. Now, work can be your primary thing in very rare instances. There are, there are, there are a handful of guys where work can be your primary argument. But I need something else. I need at least something I can point to and say this guy was at least somewhat of a draw or this guy was at least somewhat influential uh, because I don't, I don't want a Hall of Fame of guys where we can say, well, they had six or seven years where you could argue they were top five in the U.S. as a worker. To me, that's just too argumentative. I want something more I think I think that. you'd have to be six or seven years where you were the best, which is, is – see, here's the, here's the difference. You've got guys like Kurt Henning and, and and let's throw Owen Hart in there too, where you can make the argument where, where let's for the sake of argument top five for X amount of years, arguably. But then you have somebody like Daniel Bryan, where the argument is was he the best worker in the United States for a seven or eight year period? That's right. a lot different than was he one of the top five when you're arguing was he the best? Uh, that's the kind of guy I think that can get in on work alone, as opposed to a guy where eh, he's maybe top five, maybe. Uh, for for four or five years, as opposed, you know, I think you really need to be either you know the best or someone who's talked about as being the very best uh, for a period probably longer than three or four years. All right, so we'll move on here to Ivan Koloff. I know this is one that you guys are a little bit passionate about. Uh, he's third among historians uh, last year, tenth among reporters. Uh, 2012 got 54%, but then fell almost 20%, or actually exactly 20% in 2013, getting only 34%. Joel, I'll start with you. Uh, Ivan Koloff, what are your thoughts on him? Well, Dylan's going to have much more expansive <laughs> thoughts than I will on this one. I don't vote for him, and uh, I'm not going to vote for him again. Um, I'm, I'm going to give Dylan a chance to change my mind. Uh, with his argument, because I know he's going to, uh, I, I have a, I think he supports him. Um, but to me, he falls, you know, I lump him in with Murdoch. I lump him in with, you know, a bunch of the guys we just talked about that I think are stronger candidates than someone like Edge. Uh, but these are the guys who I think are the line. Like uh, Ivan Koloff to me, people say Murdoch is the line. I think Ivan Koloff is the line. Uh, you know, he, he, he's the guy. I think if you're better, you have a better resume than Koloff, you should be in. And uh, Koloff's a guy I just can't pull the trigger on. I Koloff is a he's a tough candidate, and uh, the reason why I think he's a tough candidate is I think it's very easy to say this guy was the guy that beat Bruno. He was a WWF champion, you know. Uh, he he was you know to one degree or another sort of a prototypical Russian heel. wasn't the first. You know, uh, we, we should be clear about that. Uh, you know, he belongs in. And um, I, I will almost certainly vote for him uh, because I, I do think he's a Hall of Famer. And I think there have been people who've made more of an effort to persuade me of that than there have been with Murdoch. Um, having said that. He suffers a little bit from from this uh, this rule change for me because I'm looking at these Lucha candidates and I'm looking at C and Karras and I'm saying I got to find room on this ballot, and if I'm choosing between Karras and Koloff, I'm choosing Karras. So he he's kind of been put in a weird position in that sense. Now, having said that, as far as the positives go, you know. Koloff was a big star going back to about 66, 67, starting in Canada. 
and he remained a either upper mid card or main event guy. And by upper mid card, I mean you know second or third from the top during an era in the territories where that actually meant something. Pretty much for the next twenty years, um, oftentimes in main events. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize how much of a tag worker he was during his run. Uh, you know, he was a tag team. He was a tag partner of Pat Patterson, if I'm not mistaken, in Florida. He was a tag partner of Ole Anderson during a really hot period in Georgia. He was uh, a tag partner of Billy Graham, actually, uh, in AWA. Very hot feud during that period. Uh, actually, that was uh, Kim Patera's uh, really first meaningful feud was sort of attached to that. Um, uh, although more so as a, a feud with Billy Graham. But <sighs> Koloff. Here's the advantages. Here, here's the pluses I think of Koloff. He actually has longevity, not this phony longevity people give to people like Sting and Edge. He actually has longevity. He has 20 years of a sustained top-level guy. Okay. Another big plus for Koloff is he's a guy the WWF kept bringing back to work Bruno, Backlund, and others, which they did not do with very many people. There's a short list of guys that had sort of multiple runs. Over, you know, that weren't homesteaders, obviously. They kept, they're not that many. You're looking at a very small number. Uh, Koloff is one, Patera would be another, uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine would be one. Um, there, but there's not a lot. It, you know, it, it, it really is a, actually a smaller number than you think. Um, he was consistently positioned against stars. Like, if you look at his resume, if you look at his record book, which you could easily find, he was con consistently positioned against stars. Um, these are things you want out of a heel. You know, in this era, before national TV, uh, you know, if you're trying to decipher who was a big star and who sort of had that national identity, who, who, was, who was a big-time player, you can't always look at whether they popped houses or not because some territories were just – they just stayed hot, you know. Um, but you can kind of look at how in demand they were. And Koloff was clearly in demand. Um, he worked in St. Louis a lot. You know, he, he, was, he had a lot of Japan tours where he worked the big guys in Japan, the big stars, and going all the way back to the, the mid-60s. Um, he has a lot there. But I will, I w one thing I will say is if you're looking for that obvious thing that you can point to, I don't know that he has it. I don't, I don't know that he has. And, and for some people, you need that. Okay, some some voters and Joe may be one of them. You need that thing that you can point to and say, this is the hundred percent concrete reason why this person should be in. I don't think Koloff has that. I'm not sure Patera has that either, but I've studied his career more, more intimately, so I can kind of rattle off some statistics and, and some sort of insights that I think illustrate what how big of a star he was, which I can't quite do with Koloff. And Murdoch doesn't have it either. They're all very yes. – unless you think he was the superior worker that a lot of people do, he doesn't have it either. All three of them are very similar in that way. They, they, they are. And now, what I will say though is – and this, this I think does matter. You can't – I don't – I think you have to be careful because the, the concept of wrestling has changed a lot. And, um, you know, we, we tend to like when we think of like uh, the big heels from the territory era, which is really there. We're talking I mean, in many ways. Koloff is more of a historical candidate than he is actually a, a, a normal candidate. And, and he'll fact, be there next year. That's right. Next year he'll be there. So 
Um, that's why he's kind of an interesting one within this category. But when you think about the era when he was really at his peak as Zenith, as a star, there were not, there wasn't really national TV, and the 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 big heels, uh, a lot of the big heels were either NWA champions, touring NWA champions, or your sort of uh, monster savage heels like the Sheik, Abdul the Butcher, people like that. Okay, not all of them, but that's what a lot of them were. Killer Kowalski, you know. Um, so I think we sort of, uh, you know, looking back now, I think we sort of, a lot of us are in this frame of mind that if somebody doesn't fit in one of those two brackets or categories, they're not a Hall of Famer because it's very easy to say, oh, he did this or he did that. He fits into these two sort of uh, uh, archetypes we have for what the top heels were during that era. I'm not sure that's fair. And, and I, I think that's where you have to be careful because I think you, you, you can't, we have to recognize that being in demand and working in the hot territories, which I'll document more when we get to Patera, that meant a lot back then. And it means more once you actually sit down and look at the record than it does for me to just say it. But you, can, you, you can't dismiss that. You can't dismiss the fact that Koloff was a, was a top-level star in every single territory he went to as a heel. You can't – now, that doesn't necessarily mean he's a Hall of Famer. But I, I, I just – to me, you have to be really careful about saying, well, this guy doesn't fit into my preconceived notion of what a top heel was during that time period. So he's not a Hall of Famer. I think you have to be a little bit more nuanced than that. Two key points. Third among historians, 10th among reporters last year indicates that he was probably a bigger star than people give him credit for because the people who are doing the research feel that way. Uh, they, vote, they want him in. Uh, the second key point with him is I think he's also similar to Patera in his most visible time. Uh, his most high-profile time was when he was old. Uh, uh, for Crockett on TBS in the mid-80s. So I think a lot of voters' most vivid memories of him or only memories of him are as an older tag team wrestler. Yep. Uh, so uh, similar to Patera post-prison, which is uh, the only, the, either the only run that people remember or the run that's most vivid in people's minds. So I think he's similar to Patera in that sense, and I think the fact that he finished third among historians and tenth among reporters probably shows that he was a bigger star than some people might give him credit for. With that said, right. with that said, I'm oh, I'm still not voting for him. So there's heel turn at the end. I'm I'm I'm, I'm still not voting for him. Uh, Swerve at the end. Yeah. All right, I'll move on to one of the, the one of the controversial uh, candidates and one that a lot of discussion uh, has been about. Uh, Brock Lesnar, who um, tenth among historians last year, uh, 2012 had 24%, but then shot up in 2013, all the way to 47%. Dylan, I'll start with you. Brock Lesnar, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think he's going to get in this year. Um, I, I, uh, I don't think, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I don't think he's even close to a hall of famer. Um, I, I don't even think he's on the cusp of being a hall of famer. And this is coming from somebody who really likes Brock. Mm -hmm. Um, now the, here's the key with Brock. Um, and I probably shouldn't say this because the guy, I, I, I've, I've, you know, we get along good and he was nice enough to send me a ballot but Dave Meltzer needs to quit being a pussy about this. <laughs> I'm right with you. I'm you, glad you said you, that. You, you, he, he needs to make the fucking decision, not put it in the hands of the voters. This is a criteria issue. This is not something yep. that the voters should have to choose, okay? That's a cowardly way to do it. I'm sorry. It's just the truth. 
he should say MMA counts or MMA doesn't count. Not, well, it's up to the voters, or, or this sort of backhanded crap that he pulls where he says, well, the WWF thought it, thought it mattered because they gave him this big contract. That's a horseshit argument, okay? If, if you don't have – this drives me insane. He put him on the ballot. I think it's pretty clear that he thinks UFC is a plus for him. I agree. If he wants to count UFC, it's his Hall of Fame. Just say we're counting MMA. Mm-hmm. If, if you do that, things change. We can talk about his candidacy more freely. Now, I do have a theory as to why he won't do that. Okay, this is my conspiracy theory, all right? My conspiracy theory is he doesn't want to do that because if he does that, then we have to talk about the fact that Brock really wasn't all that great of a fighter. We ha- we, because MMA is real. <laughs> and Brock got his ass kicked pretty savagely a couple times. So you can't just use the pro wrestling metric of did he draw as the sole determining factor. Then you have to look at the real sports metric right. of we have to look how at, yeah. good of a fighter was he actually. Now, the reality is, if you count UFC, I think he probably is a Hall of Famer because I think the drawing overweighs that. But the point mm-hmm. is, I don't think Dave even wants that in the conversation. I, I, I don't think, think I don't think Dave I don't I don't think he doesn't um, want to I I don't look. If, if he comes out and says we're counting the MMA, I don't think he's going to want to count it from the perspective of how good of a fighter somebody – because that just opens the door for every MMA fighter ever at that point. I think it would have to be just from the perspective of uh, the MMA drawing in relation to how uh, – to drawing wrestling fans, sort of like what Rich wrote about in his article, mm-hmm. um, more so than counting his entire UFC career. Because if you just say, all right, we're counting the UFC now, well, okay, well – you know, now we've got to put Hoist Gracie and and Matt Hughes and George St. Pierre and the, the Silva are open, yeah. in a pro wrestling Hall of Fame, and I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think it would be strictly in, re- in 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 relation of did he draw pro wrestling fans, and was there enough crossover at that time between pro wrestling fans and MMA fans? Because I don't think that crossover is as, as prevalent now, now that UFC has cooled off. But you know, was there enough of a crossover during that time, and was that the reason that those Brock Lesnar events did as well as they did? And there's no question that they were. I mean, anybody who argues against that is nuts. Now, I'm someone last year who factored that in, and that's why I voted for him. I've changed my mind on that. I don't factor that in anymore. I completely ignore all aspects of American MMA when I look at this now. So now I'm a non-Brock voter. Now, I could vote for Brock down the line. If, if there's evidence this year that the network buys have jumped because Brock Lesnar is champion and, be, and, and because of this feud with John Cena, I will probably vote for Brock Lesnar next year. Uh, but I, 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 can't, I can't vote for him this year. I, I, I'm someone who completely has decided to completely ignore all MMA aspects. It, it, it doesn't even enter my mind anymore. This is a pro wrestling Hall of Fame. I hate the fact that the year-end awards have MMA mixed uh, mixed in, so I don't vote any MMA in the year-end awards I, 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 as my little small protest to that. And I don't think it has any place in a pro wrestling Hall of Fame, even if his pro wrestling – fame is is why he sold so many ufc pay-per-views right. yeah and, and i sort of approached similar to dylan w- w- how he sort of approached it at the beginning of this is how i approached it in my article is okay look here's the background here's what david said about the mma credentials and i get that japan and america are obviously completely different but if we're talking about intertwined mma and wrestling 
Brock's UFC run is that way, so it's just so confusing. And, and my end result was, look, if we strip that UFC out, I'm with I'm with Dylan. He's not a Hall of Famer. But if we start looking at the draw and him drawing wrestling fans to this and then wonder if that how that affects his influence and if that's a negative influence or a positive, it's just it needs to have some clear criteria of, okay, what are we supposed to look at here? Because as Dylan said, if you let it up to if, – if we are allowed to sort of on a case-by-case basis decide, you can make a very reasonable argument that Brock should be in there. And I don't really think he should, but I, I ended that article saying, well, I mean, I guess you know he is. You know what I mean? There's, there's this weird sort of I, – I really just – it needs to have a clear directive of it because – you get into this weird sort of, and I think he's going to always be that one, and he might get in this year, you know, based off of people not really understanding how it's sort of here's your, here's, or whatever. Here's, it's just, it's, it's, it's too weird. It, it needs to have a clear right, set of the, criteria. Here's your, yeah. here's your clear directive. It's a pro wrestling hall of fame. It's not an MMA hall of fame. It's a pro wrestling yeah. hall of fame. There's your clear directive. Ignore the UFC. There's your I clear, mean, there it is. Here's the thing. I respect the hell out of Dave Meltzer, Okay. People think I pick on the guy. I really, I, honestly, I don't. But if, if people saw the emails Dave and I exchanged, they'd see that I don't pick on him. I really don't. I, every interaction I've had with the guy in email has been cordial. We've gone back and forth on message boards here and there, but even there, I don't think it's been really nasty. The, the, this is not, I'm not picking on Dave. I'm not, you know, trying to make my name picking on Dave Meltzer here. I just think this is a bullshit thing to do. If you're, if you're, if you're going to have a Hall of Fame, and you're going to say the criteria is X, Y, and Z. There shouldn't be a loophole this big. There shouldn't be, <laughs> there shouldn't be something like this where people can just willy-nilly make the decision for themselves. You know what? That, that, that's ridiculous. You know that that uh, you you can't. Here, you just can't do that. It, it, it defeats the entire purpose of having a fixed criteria. Like you, right. you, you at that point you may as well just say. Well, fixed criteria doesn't matter in certain arbitrary cases where you can come up with something else and pull it out of your ass. Like I, I understand that this is a to a to a large degree a unique instance. Okay, then just make the fucking ruling. Just say this right, is. And, and, uh, I think no, you know, well, I don't think here, it's. Here. I don't think it's so much as Dave being a chicken shit as Dave just really truly wants to leave it ambiguous and let the voters decide on their uh, on their own accord. Uh, I, I, I think that's worse. I actually think yeah, that's it's, worse. It's, I yeah, think, it's, yeah, ambi- ambi- I don't like ambiguity. I, I think and, it's actually yeah. worse. Like, I could almost, in a way, I could almost defend it if it was like he was trying to be kind of, you know, he was too afraid to just kind of pull the trigger one way or the other because he doesn't want to deal with that can of worms because he's already got these assholes who complain. There's too much MMA in the Observer, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I, could, I could almost forgive that. But to be, like, <laughs> to be, like, he didn't give, he didn't really give the voters a say in this new rule change. You know what I mean? He did. As far as I know, he didn't give the voters a say about when he changed last year about non-wrestlers, uh, you know, lim- being limited to five per ballot now. So, so why is he giving the voters a say on this? <laughs> yeah, and, and, like, and one thing I wanted to point out, I, I put in the article, I put his quote here, but I'm, I'm going to read this verbatim of last year's Observer and to see just how – he kind of he, he leaves it so much open where you really just have no idea. He goes, uh, Lesnar's strongest argument is that to pro wrestling fans from 2008 to 2010, there was little doubt that they were more, they were buying his pay-per-views than anyone else. They were buying more of his pay-per-views than anyone else, which is actually amazing when you think about it. It was not pro wrestling, but that was the same thing that put Sakuraba in, in the sense that he was pro wrestling hero of his era, the biggest draw among pro wrestling fans at the time, but it was MMA that he was competing in. But Japan is a different culture, but that argument is that Lesnar was... I mean, it's, it's like there's three times where he goes... 
it is the same as Sakuraba, but it's not really the same. But it kind of is. Listen, if Brock Lesnar was having <laughs> shoot fights on worked pro wrestling shows, I would totally vote. I would totally uh, count his his shoot fights as part of uh, as part of his criteria. But that wasn't the case, and that was often the case in Japan with some of the guys who have gotten in. Uh, you know, w- w- ambiguously with their MMA and pro wrestling sort of intertwined. I mean, these guys were having shoot fights on on, on professional work, professional wrestling shows. It's a little different. These were UFC sporting events. This is a c- c- totally and completely different animal. I don't care if he drew pro wrestling fans to his to his uh, to buy his UFC event. That doesn't factor for me. I've changed my mind on that. Just like it doesn't matter to me if pro wrestling fans go to see The Rock's movies. It has nothing to do with it for me. In in terms of what I think of The Rock's uh, uh, candidacy or whatever, it's the same thing here. It, it it shouldn't factor. It's not the same. It isn't the same, and it shouldn't matter. All right, so we done. Are we moving on to Brock? <laughs> I think he's an interesting one. We'll 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 see. I think we might have many arguments and discussions uh, in a few week or a few months rather when he gets in. But uh, <laughs> we'll talk about the fabulous Moolah here. Who, uh, Jesus Christ! Uh, David Vixenspan named her the absolute worst candidate on the uh, the ballot. Thirty two percent, both in two thousand twelve and two thousand thirteen. Joe Lanza. I don't. I don't vote for. Her. I th- <laughs> look, I don't go that far. I don't. This can't be more than five minutes. Look, let's, let's I, I mean, no. Well, I mean, I don't. I don't. I, I don't know if it's the worst candidate on the ballot. I. I don't vote for her. I think here's where here's where Mula got lucky. Mula got lucky is that her highest exposure was during the Hulkamania era and then during the Attitude era. So mm-hmm. she's in, she's very famous among wrestling fans and she's perceived as a much bigger star than she really was because she had a ton of exposure during the two most popular periods of the most popular company in the history of wrestling. So that's uh, totally, you know, and, and entirely why she gets 32% of the vote. Uh, Dylan, any thoughts? I would vote for Lord Littlebrook before I would vote for Moore. <laughs> so um, I, I, and I, I'm only kind of kidding. Uh, I would vote for Dino Bravo before I'd vote for Mula. That's not a joke. Uh, I mean, like, there's the, the the number of people I would vote for before I would vote for her is is really, really large. If, I, I mean, Little Brook had uh, ninety three thousand. You can't argue with it. I mean, he was a part of it. Yeah, so I mean, well, big star in Montreal. I mean, you don't you don't even <laughs> have to go that far. Like, uh, and, you know, she's just. I can't even envision an argument for her that is based in in. in uh, in fact, it's all perception. You know, she. this is not like there's no careful study and analysis of Moolah that's going to con- that's going to result in you concluding that she's a Hall of Famer. There's just not. I mean, it's not going to happen. So um, I get why people vote for her. And I think Joe sort of illustrated why with what he said about her relative peaks and visibility. But, uh, you know, she's you know, I, honestly, I would vote for Matt Hardy before I would vote for the fabulous Moolah. Well, would you would you vote for <laughs> would you vote for Sable before the fabulous? Movie? I would vote for Sable. I would vote for Hiroshi Tanahashi. Before oh I my God! Would you would you vote for Trish Stratus before the fabulous? Movie? Uh yes, I think so. Would you vote for Lita? Yes, definitely. I, th- so I think you, I think Lita got Edge over. I, I don't think so, Edge gets over without Lita. So Sable, Trish, and Lita. Would you vote for Elizabeth? Before yes, absolutely. Not with, without a second thought. 
would you vote for? <laughs> uh, hold on now. I want to come up with a with a with a create with a with a tough one here. Um, w- would you vote for uh, Medusa before the fabulous one? <sighs> That's tough. Um... What you're comparing is a woman who pimped out her stable to to a woman who slept with Eddie Gilbert. I don't. Um, I that's tougher. Uh, I think I might vote for Mula over Medusa. I think I might vote for Mula over Medusa. Yeah. I, I that, that um, hopefully it would never come to that, but I think I would probably pick Mula over Medusa if I was absolutely forced. I would pick. Well, there I we would go. Vote, we found I, it. I, I, now I would vote for. I would definitely vote for Sunny over Mula. But if you're mm-hmm. looking for like another another woman of note, that was absolutely. that was going to be my next one. Yeah. So you you'd essentially vote for any strongly pushed WWE female since the Mula era, since let's say 1984. Would you vote for Richter over Mula? Um. Yes. Absolutely. So you would you would essentially vote for every single pushed WWE female, reasonably pushed WWE female, with the exception of Alundra Blaze. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would I would actually I would vote for Cindy Lauper over Mula. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm trying to think if we forgot anybody, but I think those are all. Mickey James? No, I don't. I'm, 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 yeah, I'm really scratching the surface Mickey now. Mickey James is probably a, a, a level below. I think we hit off on all of the. That's yeah, we got everybody. Top that level I can even... pushed females. I can't. Am I missing one that's like currently active? I don't think so. AJ Lee. No. I, I would vote. I would vote for referee Tim White in drag <laughs> over Mula. <laughs> I think we should move on. Yes, I think that is just about it. Um, Here's a guy that I don't know, uh, Dylan, if you've ever given any thought, but uh, Ken Patera, 2012, he uh, did not get it. Never heard of him. Uh, he was not about, yeah, I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with his uh, body of work. Maybe Joe can handle this part. Hey, before, but, uh, before, the, Patera, before the Patera uh, speech, would you, <laughs> vote, would, would you vote for Lillian Garcia before the uh, Ooh. Uh, no. Oh, that's a good one. That's a tough no. one, though. That's a good one, Rich. That's a tricky one. That's a no. That's an easy Hold no. Hold on now. Think about Lillian Garcia. She's... I, I, I want to hear what he says. I thought I, I think I, I, I think I would vote for Mula over Lillian, but I would be open yeah. to an argument for Lillian. <laughs> I would be open. I would be open to the pro Lillian argument. All right. So if you're if you if you're looking for an article to write for Voice of Wrestling, <laughs> voiceofwrestling.com/slash/contact is the Lillian Garcia Hall of Fame uh, <laughs> resume. She's still building the resume too. So it's it's you know. I would definitely vote for Stephanie McMahon. Well over. Well over. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, for like another okay. one that we haven't mentioned. Let us let us never talk about Fabulous Mula again. How about, how, about, like, how, about, how about Heidi Lee Morgan? Would you vote for her? Okay, you're done. You're you're done. Uh, man, I don't know about that one. Answer that one. That's, Answer that one, uh, and then we'll. Uh... You know how many grimy Southern Territory I Heidi no, Lee Morgan matches he's probably seen? A lot. Uh, I, 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 Heidi Lee Morgan, probably not, but I would vote for Leilani Kai over her for sure. Easily. So then you'd, you'd vote for Judy Martin then probably as well. Oh, easily. Absolutely. Over Mula. No question. How about uh... – <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ken Federa, 2012, uh, did not appear on the ballot. 2013, 16%. Uh, Joe, I'll start with you because I don't think Dylan has any relevant thoughts to Ken Patera. Yeah, no, let, Joe, what are your listen, thoughts? Listen, man, I, I'm a no on Patera, <laughs> and I put him I, – I, you know, I've said it three times already. I, I, I think he's very similar to, to Koloff and Murdoch, and I just – I think those guys are, are pretty much the line. 
Um, I would rank Koloff ahead of Murdoch. I'd rank Murdoch ahead of Patera. Um, you know, I, I, I think I'd rank Sergeant Slaughter a little ahead of Patera. Um, but he's a no for me. But I'm not going to take up any more of Dylan's time. I know he wants to make a case for him, and we're going to give him the floor. Okay. Uh, first of all, the bad news. I think he's definitely going to fall off the ballot this year. Uh, mm-hmm. He's going to be a victim of Brock and CM Punk coming on, and JYD also, who I think might take away some of the people that did vote for him. Um, so he's going to fall off the ballot, which is, I, I think, unfortunate. Uh, it's also going to change the way I vote in the future because, to me, if Patera doesn't get in, um, it's not so much that he doesn't get in, but if he falls off the ballot this easily, there's almost nobody in that category I'll ever be able to vote for, assuming the Rock and Roll Express get in, or NJYD, because I don't think looking ahead i don't see anybody who i think would be a better candidate a clearly better candidate than him i mean for example i think he's a vastly better candidate than cm punk if you actually look at their careers and i'm a, i'm a big punk fan um another thing i want to get out of the way is kim patera is not one of my favorite wrestlers um at all i mean there are easily a couple hundred guys i'd rather watch than kim patera um my interest in kim patera started because basically somebody sort of uh, lobbed the cheap shot about him in his career. And I thought, you know what? I think this guy probably had a better career than that. So I started researching him and I ended up uh, foolishly going down that, uh, that rabbit hole and came out on the other end as the world's foremost Kim Patera expert. <laughs> um, I, 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 uh, here's the thing. Okay. If you, I can't fault anybody. He doesn't pass the eye test. I'll say that flat out. He absolutely doesn't pass the eye test. I think that I think the eye test is deceptive in his case because, as Joe mentioned earlier, most people only see him as that old guy who, you know, was was failed as a baby face after he got out of prison. That, that's that's what they think of. The Billy Jack um, Haynes tag team. In that's right. Seven. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they don't you, you know, you don't you don't even most people don't even know about his prime. Um, there is. Only one thing that I consider a major negative about Kim Patera myself, and that is, with the exception of his time in Oklahoma in 76, I don't know that he was ever definitively the top heel in in any individual territory he was in. So if you wanted to make an argument against him, I think that's probably the strongest argument against him. Now, let me tell you the strongest arguments in favor of him. For 12 and a half years, from the moment he debuted, and he debuted in the AWA, where Vern, Vern almost, he didn't, didn't debut hardly anybody as a star. He didn't debut his kid as a star. He didn't debut Rick fucking Flair as a star. He didn't debut Sergeant Slaughter as a star. Buddy Rowe, all these guys had to work their way up the cards. Kim Patera debuted in semi-main events and main events. And from the very beginning, at the very tail end of 72, early 73, Kim Patera, for the next 12 and a half years until the day he went to prison, was a main event player in the biggest territories in the United States. He feuded with Bill Watts in Oklahoma, Billy Graham in the AWA, Bruno San Martino multiple times in the WWF, Bob Backlund. Uh, you know, he feuded with Tommy Rich when Tommy Rich was the hottest star in Georgia. He was a regular opponent in territories all over the place. One of Andre the Giant's most regular opponents during that time period. One of Dusty Rhodes' most regular opponents during that time period. Uh, he challenged for the uh, NWA title against Jack Briscoe, Terry Funk, Ric Flair, uh, 
he did uh, Dusty Roads. And by the way, he did these uh, not in small buildings. He did these in the Omni in Atlanta, in St. Louis, in Toronto. Um, in fact, to my knowledge, Patera is the only wrestler in history, and I've asked this question of historians, who main evented Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens, the Keel in St. Louis, the Mid-South Coliseum, the Philadelphia Spectrum, Ma uh, Madison Square Garden, and the Boston Garden 10 times or more uh, each. No, To my knowledge, no other wrestler in history has ever done that. He's the only guy who's ever done that. What are those buildings uh, again? Hold on a second. What, what, what are those buildings? The Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis. Right. The Keel in St. Louis, where he was a huge star. Uh, Toronto Maple Leaf Garden. The Philadelphia Spectrum. Boston Garden and Madison Square Garden. To my knowledge, and I've looked. I've, I've, I've looked at this. I've really looked. And, and to my knowledge. Now, in and of itself, that's just a trivia note. But what, what, I, what I, with Hulk, to me, with guys like this, you look for anomalies, okay? That's an anomaly. Okay, here's another anomaly with Patera. I already mentioned the guys he wrestled for the NWA title for. Briscoe, Flair, Terry Funk, Dusty Rhodes. He also wrestled for the WWF title against Bruno, uh, Bob Backlund. Backlund, yeah. B Billy Graham. They actually had a couple heel versus heel matches, which is not that well known. Uh, I don't know that you can find anybody who did that. He also wrestled for the major, uh, major titles against both Baba and Anoki when he was in Japan. So this is a guy who wrestled pre pretty much. If you look at his career from 73 through 85 when he went to prison, he wrestled. He was a regular in St. Louis for virtually that entire time. He's one of the only guys who got multiple runs in the WWF, like I mentioned earlier. Same thing with Koloff as a, a non-homesteading heel uh, against you know main event opposition, uh, the top guys, Bruno and Backlund in his case. He did all this and never slipped down cards. And if you if you follow his career, you can't find a period. I mean, and, I, and I've mapped it out very, very specifically. You really cannot find a period where he was anything less than really hot. In fact, it, 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 he was never less than a semi-main event guy at any point from 73 until the middle of 85 when he went to prison. Never. Not once. Um even after his prime, because I would say his prime was from when he turned heel in Oklahoma in 76 until 81 when he left Georgia, walked out of Georgia. I would say that's his prime, okay? Even after his prime, he was still a main eventer in St. Louis. He was still thought well enough that Lawler and Jarrett were bringing him in to main event against Lawler in, in Mid-South Coliseum in 83. He was still working main event feuds, uh, teaming with Blackwell against the High Flyer, setting record gates in the AWA territory, even after Hogan left. And again, as late as 83, the Montreal promotion brought him in uh, to wrestle Andre the Giant, and they did 17,000 paid at the forum. So this was after his prime. I mean, that's not even his peak. Uh, it, to me, he's another one of these guys where if you're looking for an individual thing like that, that is absolutely clear and obvious, Maybe he doesn't have it. He doesn't have a world title ring, okay? They didn't give him away like candy back then, um, although he supposedly was in the running for one. But if you look at the totality of his career, if you look at who he feuded with, if you look at where he main evented, uh, if you look at how long his run was, uh, to me, I think he's an easy pick.
And when I compare him to a guy like CM Punk, who we'll get to very soon, uh, it's not that I don't think it's not that I think Punk's an outlandish pick because I don't. I don't think Punk has near the resume Kim Patera has as as a, as a star. I don't even think it's close. I mean, Patera was a guy that was in such demand that he was being brought into St. Louis and Montreal or and uh, Toronto regularly when those were the two you know, sort of one-off towns and put in main events or semi-main events nonstop, no matter what territory he was working for. That says a lot. You know, it's not like he, it's not like you can look at his career and say, oh, well, he look at here's, here's where he was feuding with this preliminary guy. At his peak, the lowest card guys he worked in feuds were Tony Atlas, who was a big star at that time period, and Dino Bravo, who was a pretty big star at that time period. That's it. Nobody lower than that. Uh, everybody else was, was a considerably bigger name, and most of the guys he feuded with or wrestled consistently are easy Hall of Famers. Easy. Uh, to me, I, I get why people don't vote for him. I don't think he's going to get in. I think he's going to fall off the ballot this year. But <sighs> I, I don't. I don't think there are many people on the ballot that have a better case than him. I really don't. When you actually break things down. Okay, well, uh, I'll say this. You just bumped him over Murdoch. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I still think, a lot like Ivan Koloff for me, I, I, I'm, I'm missing that juice. I need, I need that one big thing that I don't have, especially since he was never uh, highly regarded as a worker. Oh, that's and, not true. That's not from true. What I, from what I've seen... I think that Koloff was the better worker. Uh, that's my personal opinion from from what I've seen of the two. Um, now, go ahead and counter that. When was he regarded as? Well, well, Patera was regarded as a very good worker, particularly by the St. Louis office. Mushnick was a big fan of his. Larry Matisik's a big fan of his. Um, and he, uh, you know, it, it, worth remembering. He, I, Patera versus Backlund was the first Wrestling Observer match of the year. Now, that was back when Dave was basically picking him himself. But in a way, this is back in 1980, in a way that's more impressive because Dave Meltzer is not a Bob Backlund fan. <laughs> so <laughs> as a worker, he's not. I mean, if you go back and look at the things Dave was saying at the time about Backlund, he was not a big fan of Bob, Bob Backlund, the worker. Or Patera, so, for that matter. So uh, Patera in 1980 especially in 1980, I think, is pretty universally regarded as a good worker. I've talked to guys who are longtime Mid-Atlantic fans, Mike Mooneyham being the most notable, but others as well who contend that Patera was a very good worker when he worked in Mid-Atlantic as well in the, in the, in the late 70s. So uh, the problem Patera has is there's very little of that on tape. I mean, we, we have his 1980, a lot of that on tape, and most people who've seen it uh, and watched it all are pretty high on it. Uh, including people who don't agree on a whole lot. Yeah, it's but, all AWA. It's all AWA and WWF. If you're looking for uh, stuff to watch. Yes. Yes. You don't. We don't. We have very little of his middle. We have a little bit of the garbage tapes, the Cornette garbage tapes, that uh, show you know little clips of a match with Ricky Steamboat, for example, and things like that, um, which give you a good look at how over he was in Mid Atlantic. But it, it, you know, it's not enough to really tell how good of a worker he was or wasn't. Uh, but he was regarded as a good worker, at least I'd say for the from the punk, from the moment he turned heel in in '76 in, in Oklahoma against Watts, 
up until uh, probably 80 or 81. Yeah, it never impressed me with the AWA and uh, the WWF stuff. I thought, uh, you know, like the stuff of Bruno, I, I, it's hard for me to watch. Um, you know, I, I preferred the stuff I saw, I saw from Koloff. Um, but I mean, I, I don't know. With all three of those guys, I'm just, I'm looking for that. I, it's hard for me to put a finger on what I'm looking for. It's, it's that one big thing uh, to put them over the top. I'm very compelled by that statistic about the five buildings. I, I, that is something that was very impressive to me when you were reading it off. Mm -hmm. I agree. And uh, as you continued on, I was, uh, you know, looking around the internet trying to come up with another example, and I couldn't find anybody. And obviously, you've done it extensively, and you haven't come up with anybody either. Um, that was a pretty impressive statistic, though. That I think that's the most impressive thing about his case. I, I'll be completely honest. That is, that's a very impressive statistic. For the, those aren't those aren't just random. You know, it'd be one thing if they were just you know if some of the buildings were lower level. Those are big. Those are important buildings historically. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, here's the thing. Another thing is, it's not as if he was main eventing these when those territories were on their asses. I mean, this was when they were all doing well. You know, and, and he and he's wrestling like you know for the NWA title in St. Louis. I mean. In St. Louis, even after – this is another thing that I think tells you how big of a star he was and how much value he was perceived to have. Even He, let, he walked out on the Georgia Territory in 81. Now, presumably, that gets you blackballed. Of course, we know that's somewhat of a degree of bullshit, but to a lot of guys, if you walk out on an NWA office, you, know, you might have trouble getting bookings. What does he do? He go, he's, in, you know, he's in the AWA before anybody knows it, but he's also still working in St. Louis – and he's getting NWA title shots after he walked out on an NWA office within like a couple months. Uh, you know, to me, I, I honestly believe, and I've made this point before, um, I think he's as good a candidate as Ted DiBiase who's in. I think he's as good a candidate as Ricky Steamboat who's in. Uh, and I'm talking about guys who were in on the first class. I think he's, you know, as good a candidate as Bret Hart who's in in the first class. Um, you know, and I also feel like He's a guy where if, if you it, – it's sort of like I, what I talked about earlier with Koloff. If you look at it from an in-demand perspective and you look at where he worked and who he worked against, you know, who, who else got those title shots against those guys and isn't in the Hall of Fame? Who, who else got world title shots against Billy Graham, Bruno Sammartino, Bob Backlund, Briscoe, Funk, Flair, or Dusty Rhodes isn't in the Hall of Fame. Who? I mean, like, it, you know, who, who, who else uh, ever main evented all those buildings? You know what I like? It, nobody did. And, and uh, that, to me, you know, it, it'd be one thing if we could look at his post prime, you know, and say it was this really long period where it was really, really bad. But his post-prime wasn't even that long. I mean, he, he came back. He was in WWF for a couple years, floundering. He was briefly in the AWA at the dead end of it. You know, that, at most, that's a quarter of his career, at absolute most. You know, this is, this is not a guy who, who has a lot of excess on the tail end of his career. that makes, He's not like a Greg Valentine, okay, who I actually think is underrated and, and better than some of the guys who are in the Hall of Fame, frankly. But But – He's not a Greg Valentine who has this long career after the fact where you sort of go, man, that's sad. You know, this guy used to mean something and now look at him. You don't have that with Patera. So I, 
I don't know. I, I, I can't, I, you know, a lot of people, when they, when they point to his big plus, they, it's that, that he held the Missouri title and the Intercontinental title at the same time in 1980. To me, what I would point to as his big plus, if I was forced to pick one thing, it would be I think you could make a case, uh, a pretty easy case, that with the exception of the NWA champions, whoever they were, whether, you know, uh, during the time, Harley Race, really, I think you could make an argument that Kim Patera was the biggest national heel in the United States for about a four or five year period at his absolute peak. I, I really don't. And that's based on where he was working, how in demand he was, the title shots he was getting, the way he was presented. I think for a four or five year period, he was basically the number two national heel in the United States. And actually, until Ric Flair won the world title in 1981, Patera was a bigger national heel than Ric Flair was. So uh, to me, that's his biggest plus. But that's a plus that you can only really arrive at if you actually look at the research. That's something that you know you, you can't arrive at just by a surface level look at his career. And no one's going to do that. And, he's, he's, he, and I agree with you. He's definitely going to fall off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, th th there's no question he's falling off because th there's going to be a lot of votes thrown at those 15 candidates who are in danger of falling off. Yep. Um, and I think those are going to take away votes from these bottom guys uh, in terms of percentage from from the last couple of years, because that's where people are going to take their votes from. They're not going to take their votes from people they've been supporting year after year who have a legitimate chance of getting in. They're going to say, oh, well, Pateri, he's been getting 12 percent. He's not getting in anyway. So if I want to keep Murdoch on, I better vote for Murdoch. So those are the kind of guys that are going to lose their votes. So you're absolutely that's, right. That's true. And I and I will I'm going to stress this again. And this isn't even sour grapes. If it's just it's just the honest truth. If Patera does not, if he falls off the ballot this year, there's a good chance I will never vote for somebody in this category again. Especially if the Rock and Rolls get in and JYD gets in. Um, I don't think JYD will get in, but the Rock and Rolls uh, I consider better candidates than Patera. JYD I consider uh, a slightly better candidate than Patera. <sighs> Koloff I think is a lateral candidate, maybe slightly worse in some way, slightly better than others. But to me. If Patera doesn't get in, I can't vote for Punk ever. <laughs> I can't vote for Daniel Bryan ever. And that's not, that's not a knock on Daniel Bryan, I, and I would have no problem with him getting in. But to me, Patera has a very complete resume as a star. Uh, and, and, you know, at the level of guys who got in the first class. I think that... Uh... You've convinced me he's a better candidate than Dick Murdoch. Uh, I, I still think he's in that same neighborhood as Koloff, and I agree that Junkyard Dog is a slightly better candidate. And uh, I'm just a conservative voter. I mean, I'm on the fence with Junkyard Dog, and I, I think that he's a better candidate than than, than that group of three. So uh, I, I, you know, th those guys for me, they're they're the line. If you're better than those guys, I've I've got a chance for voting for you. If you're if you're worse than those guys, I'm not voting for you. So. Um, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I still don't put him – I I still think Junkyard Dog is a stronger candidate, and I may not vote for Junkyard Dog. I still haven't decided yet. All right. Well, luckily we can scrape a few minutes of uh, content on Ken Patera there. Thank you, Dylan, for, <laughs> for doing, doing your dirty work there. But no, we'll move on to another guy uh, just uh, appeared on the ballot this year. Been much talked about. CM Punk. You mentioned him a few times. Uh, Joe, I'll start with you on this one. CM Punk. Yay or nay. Oh. And then maybe for, for – I think there's two different ways to sort of answer this question. There's a this year would you vote him in, which I see a lot of people saying no and they're going to wait. And then maybe in the future, do you see him as a Hall of Famer? 
This is a weird one. I mean, um, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence with him, but I'm leaning no. It's very early. I, it's I, hard. I'm, to... I'm leaning no as opposed to being on the fence with Junkyard Dog leaning yes uh, because I think there is some merit to the idea that we should wait because I think a lot of his candidacy is going to weigh on influence. And um, uh, no matter what anybody says, I think uh, that they're – okay, this idea – <laughs> it's not Rob Van Dam. This idea that Rob Van Dam <laughs> was the indie guy who broke through is complete and utter bullshit. First of all, it was almost a full generation before. It was like a decade before. Uh, second of all, uh, e- ECW, when Rob Van Dam was, was the top guy in ECW, was on national television. I mean, what are people talking about? In primetime. Pri- it wasn't at like 2 a.m. either. It was you know, 7 p.m. in primetime. During a very popular time for professional wrestling as a whole. I mean, you know, and 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 some of, on and some of his pay-per-views were doing better than the WCW pay-per-views. I mean, with this idea that Rob Van Dam was the indie guy that broke through is patently false. And look, you had your Brian Kendricks and your, you know, a sort Paul Londons and whatnot who may have gotten to the main roster first. Those are minor players. Those are bit players. CM Punk was the guy that truly broke the mold. They didn't want to push him. Uh, he forced their hands. Um, we could argue about how big of a star, you know, he 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 was in actuality, but I do believe there's something to the idea that he opened the door for all of these guys that are now coming up behind them, and uh, I I do believe that he opened up some eyes in that company to uh, a different style of wrestler, a different type of wrestler, a different body type, a different uh, a different kind of personality uh, that could not only make it in the company but be a top guy. And I, I do think there's merit, but I don't – we don't have a full grasp of that eight months or whatever after he retired. We, we, ju- we just don't. Um, I, I think it will play out that way um, because I think these guys I, – I, I, listen, I don't think they sign a lot of the guys that they've signed if not for, for, for what CM Punk did in that company. I, I firmly believe that. So – and I think uh, a, a lot of his candidacy uh, is going to have to do with that. Um, I do think he's one of the best promos of all time. I, that sounds like high praise, but I do believe that. I think uh, he was a Hall of Fame. He's good enough worker to be a Hall of Fame caliber worker. Um, as far as being a draw, I, you know, he's probably not a Hall of Fame caliber draw. Um, but you know, overall, I think he has enough of a resume to be somebody that I would consider. I don't know how. It morphed into CM Punk versus Edge on the Observer Board. I don't know how that happened, um, but uh, I, I do think he's a better candidate than Edge. Dylan, what are your thoughts? Uh, I actually agree with virtually everything Joe just said. Um, I I I, <laughs> I, uh, I don't think he's an all-time great promo, although I think he's probably the best promo of his generation. I, I don't quite put him at the the tip top level, which is where I would put like Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Dusty Rhodes, Jim Cornette, but he's, he's not terribly far off from that. Um, look, I, I don't care if he gets in. I mean, it wouldn't bother me if he got in. Um, I wouldn't think he'd be bad. I don't, I don't think he'd be a, a, a bad pick at all. But uh, to me, uh, the door was shut on, on guys that absolutely had to get in during their prime the day John Cena got elected. Because I don't think there's anybody else, including that guy from Japan who got in last year, who who des- who deserved and is clearly indisputably somebody that deserves to go into the Hall of Fame 
at, at such a young age, I, I think everybody else that's coming up because of the nature of the business and the changes in the business, I would prefer to have perspective on their career. Okay. I don't think there's any, and, and I don't think that's going to change period, you know, and there's going to be some other interesting guys that are going to come up in the next few years. Daniel Bryan's one of them. And I think he gets in right away and, and I can't fault people for Agreed. that. I can't fault people for that. I, I wouldn't even say that was wrong. Um, uh, I think, I think Mystico is going to be an interesting guy when he comes on the ballot. Okay. Um, so there are a few guys coming up on the horizon that are going to be really interesting in this regard, you know. Uh, but for me personally, the the door is shut with John Cena on guys that that I really feel compelled to 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 that I would have felt compelled because I wasn't a voter then to vote for while they are still active and while they are still stuck. Now, see, oh well, Punk's career is over. Yeah, but we don't. We first of all, we don't know that. We don't know that. Yeah. We, like <laughs> we really don't know that. Second of all. I, the influence argument Joe just outlined is correct. Um, I think there's a possibility that there's going to be a WWE CM Punk legal battle that might have some interesting implications that could change even aspects of his uh, influence argument in ways that we haven't discussed here. I don't want to get too much into that, but I, I really feel like um, it, it, there's no reason. Here's the thing, especially with this new rule, what possible reason is there to vote for Punk now? Like, like, yeah. wh- why would you do it? There's sure. absolutely and, no reason to do it now. <laughs> exactly. And, and that, that's a conclusion I came to in, in the article that I wrote uh, for the website is, you know, I looked at a bunch of stuff. I looked at the influence, the draw, you know, the in-ring work and all that sort of stuff. And my final conclusion was, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer in my mind, but I wouldn't be caught dead voting for him this year or even next year or even it might be, you know, 10 more years before I even do. I mean, I think at that point. Yeah, you can make a reasonable argument that he is, but right now, yeah, with this new rule, there's no way that you could vote a guy who's, you know, 35 or whatever years old, and and we don't know what the end of his career is. We don't know if in two years he says, yeah, screw it, you know, I'll come back or whatever. Ah, yeah, you know what, they gave me $3 million a year, I'll, I'll, I'll suck it up and do whatever. We don't know what that's going to bring, so it's it's right now, I mean, he's not like, as you said, you, you get a guy like a John Cena, he is one that, eh, yeah, I probably would have waited a little bit, but he... He's as much of a slam dunk as you're going to get in the most in the recent times. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to get anybody else. I mean, Punk. There's nothing Punk can do that's going to put him on that level of a John Cena at this point right now. Do I think he's a Hall of Famer when it's all said and done? Yeah, he was an above average draw, not amazing draw, but above average. The influence I think is huge, and we're going to only see that grow more by more. You know, year by year. In ring, solid. I mean, solid enough where I don't think we're going to say he's a glaringly like awful one. I thought he was a real good big match worker, you know, in, in recent times or whatever. You know, good indie worker, that sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's he's not. A, I mean, with this new rule, there's just no way that you could possibly justify voting for him this year. I mean, there's just so many other guys, and there, there's there's five guys on that list that are about to drop off that are better candidates than CM Punk right now. And I'm the guy who just wrote the giant article about CM Punk and and said he's a Hall of Famer, but I would even not vote for him this year. So. All right, let's try to get to Joe back here. We dropped him real quick. Let's see if he's – we couldn't possibly go two hours. <laughs> let's see if Joe has any uh, final thoughts. I think he missed my entire rant there, but it was a mini rant. So I don't want to go back and edit because this is such a thing. So, Dylan, you fill the time while we wait for Joe to come back here. But, no, I, I'm right with you on that. I, I think – I, I'm assuming Joe said what he had to say, so we could probably move on if you want while we uh, try to reconnect him. And I'll talk about um, – we talked about Rock and Roll Express, but we'll go to Sergeant Slaughter, who um, back-to-back years, 24%. This is a guy that I see – I don't know if I see him falling off, but definitely in danger this year with, with the new guys coming on. 
You know, I I used to be, I was never like a super hardcore Slaughter supporter in the sense that I don't think I would have ever referred to him as an absolute lock or anything like that. But I used to be a lot stronger on Slaughter as a candidate than I am now. Um, I, I And really, what's hurt Slaughter is my study of other people. Mm-hmm. Because as I've looked at people like Patera more closely and Koloff to a much lesser extent than Patera, and even Jerry Blackwell, who's not even on the ballot, um, what I found is that I, I – I, look, Slaughter has really good highs. Like his absolute peaks – you know, uh, Final Conflict in eighty in eighty three, uh, the feud with the Iron Sheik in eighty four, to to a slightly bit lesser degree, some of the stuff with Backlund in the the, the early part of the eighties in the WWF. He he does have really good peaks. He has really strong peaks. However, he doesn't have. He he was never a guy like JYD. He was he was never a guy that was so big that he was transcendent. Um. Not in the way JYD was, certainly. Um, and he also doesn't have the longevity of somebody like a Patera. You know, to me, if you're going to be one of these guys, if you're going to get in, if I'm going to advocate for you as a Hall of Famer and you're going to be from this era, you've got to have one of those two things going for you. You've either got to be an absolute peak-level draw, which I regard JYD as, um, or you've got to be a guy who was a really big in-demand star who worked only top names all over the place for, you know, nine, ten years. I mean, or longer. And the reality is I don't think Slaughter meets any of those, either of those criteria. Now, Slaughter's a better worker than both of those guys. Slaughter's a great worker, in my opinion. Um, Slaughter, but- is, Slaughter is one of the most underrated workers uh, on this. But I don't think people realize how good Slaughter was in his prime. Oh, excellent worker, and, and, and particularly a great big match worker, uh, you know, and, and, and which which goes a long way with a lot of people. Um, you know, to me, Sarge is uh, to me in a way that's his biggest plus is his work. I, I, I think in a way that's almost his biggest positive. Um, but it, it, here's the thing, and, and 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 you know, some people will say that that is mainstream appeal. You know the the whole GI Joe thing. I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that's irrelevant. I think that matters to a degree. Oh, that counts for me absolutely. It, it, it counts for me, but it doesn't it doesn't count. It's a tack on. It's a, it's. It, here's where here's here's why it doesn't count a ton for me, because it ultimately didn't mean shit when he went to the AWA. Like like the, it wasn't like Slaughter had any you know, I mean, he was never. He never really delivered the way the AWA needed him to when they brought him in. Could you argue at that point, though, that was a point of no return, or was he there before it was a point of no return? Well, well okay, here, here, that's interesting because I've looked at this closely. All right, during that period, if you look at the shows that had the Road Warriors, Sarge, and Blackwell all on them, those shows did well because, in my opinion, those were the three biggest stars they had at that time. If they so if they stacked their shows with their with their biggest guys, the shows actually did pretty well. But if you took any one of those guys out of the equation, the show did worse. Now if you track if you track it from kind of the time Hogan left and then go through till till you know the end of '85, early '86 when the bottom really fell out of the place. During that time period, the biggest draw in that company was Jerry Blackwell. 
And I can prove that. <laughs> I can show you where business plummets when he leaves, where it goes up when he comes back. I can, I, I can, I can outline the, the biggest, most successful feuds during that period being his feuds. Um, now, whether, regardless of what you feel about Blackwell as a star or as, as whatever, to me, if Sla Slaughter, at the bare minimum, had to be a bigger draw than Jerry Blackwell. And he wasn't. I mean, at, at the most you could say was that he was a co-equal. You know, what, what was the company beyond the point of no return? Probably so, but the point is the AWA brought him in in large part because they thought he was, had potential to be a saving grace, and he absolutely wasn't. Um, is that entirely his fault? No, but this is a Hall of Fame. You know, this is like, it's like the Sting argument. It's not Sting's fault that WCW was filled with it and run by idiots, but that, that, that doesn't <laughs> – so what? You know, as my buddy uh, Charles says, uh, uh, the, the, the Hall of Fame is not a place where you right wrongs. You know, you, you, it's, you deal. It's like, about, it's like we talked about, like, you know, this seems like six hours ago with Owen Hart. It's there's opportunity is either had it or you didn't. And it's tough shit if you didn't in yeah, somebody's case. And, and, and look, Sarge is another one kind of where I don't I would I, I wouldn't mind if he got in. I w it wouldn't really bother me, but he does not have enough time as a top level guy. Uh, and his absolute peak was not as high as I would like. If it was one or the other, I'd be fine with it. But he just doesn't have enough time. Like, if he had uh, four more years as the level of star that he was, as, as good of a worker as he was, and four more years in a, in, a, in a promotion that was doing well, and where you could sort of point to him as one of the key guys there, I might feel a little bit differently. But as it stands, I think you can really point to 81, 80 through maybe 85. And that's just not enough. I, I don't uh, – I've really softened on him over the years. I used to be a much bigger advocate of his. And, uh, you know, once I started looking at these other guys, I mean, he doesn't have what these other guys have. I mean, even if you don't think Patera or Murdoch or Koloff or whoever is a Hall of Famer, it's it's I mean, it's hard for me to see how how Slaughter is a better candidate than them. Here's how I view Slaughter, even though I think he's a better worker than all of those guys that we've been talking about uh, for the past few uh, minutes here. Um, I, I have him slotted a notch below them. So, mm -hmm. um, I you know, that that's where I have him in the pecking order. I I prefer his work to Patera and Koloff and Junkyard Dog, obviously. Uh, and Murdoch, who, you know, people love. I, I was never in love with Murdoch's stuff. He's just not my uh, cup of tea. Um, but, um, you know, I have him below all of those guys. Yeah, I have Junkyard Dog above those three, and I have Slaughter a notch below those three. Uh, Joe, since we uh, we went off of CM Punk when we uh, uh, disconnected with you, any last thoughts for CM Punk before no, we move I mean, on to I'm another just, guy? I'm on the fence leaning no, and yeah. I, I think I summed up my feelings on him, and um, I think I just want to take a while to, to let his retirement sink in. Yeah, and that's and that look, was my there's conclusion There's always as the well, possibility. So. I don't care what he says. and he's, He'll be back. He seems, well, <laughs> I don't know. He seems like a guy who's serious about it, but it's wrestling, man. And you never, you really never know. Who knows if two or three years from now he's sitting in there in that apartment, and his wife is on the road, and he's bored, and he's got that itch, and New Japan calls, and they offer him, you know, some phenomenal deal where he only has to wrestle a half a dozen matches. He doesn't have to do the tours, and he just feels like wrestling for the creative aspect. Of, you never know with these guys. Mm -hmm. You just never. And he know. could. I, he's a guy who can who can definitely come back and. 
and 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 you know, and then at that point, the game you know totally changes. So I don't right. think there's any reason to rush you, and vote for him. I think you summed up exactly with it, it, it's wrestling. I mean, Ultimate Warrior came back. Paul Heyman came back. I mean, it's just the list is filled with of guys that that if a wheelbarrow of money comes up to them, they will let go of just about anything and and same with vince as well so you, you mentioned new japan i could see him just as easily come back to wwe did, at some point didn't CM, whatever didn't yeah cm punk insist that he was never getting married uh yeah probably I, he did i mean you know, I, do, uh, does that, do you it, believe any of these guys when they tell you in absolutes that they're never coming they're wrestlers back? and it's I mean, they're wrestlers and it's wrestling they're professional they're, liars. yeah they're, <laughs> their job is to live a lie <laughs> yeah, they're, they're professional liars, so no, I don't believe much of what they say. All right, we'll move on to uh, Jimmy Snuka. <laughs> what, a, what, a, <laughs> what a convenient segue professional liar was. Uh, Jimmy Snuka, uh, 2012, uh, 26% of the vote. 2013, 20% of the vote. This one should not take too long, Dylan. Jimmy Snuka. You know, there are people whose opinion I really respect who, who actually consider Snuka a, a pretty solid candidate. Um, I will say this for Snuka. There was a brief period in time when he was super hot, okay, he was. You could argue that he had some influence. I think it's very easy to exaggerate that influence because, he, you know, the influence with him, the advantage with him is we have the famous Mick Foley story, so we can always point to this single individual who ended up becoming a huge star and saying, well, he influenced him. Um, but, and he had some longevity in the sense that he was a star of some note at various places, and you know, going back for, for years, but I don't think he was a big enough star elsewhere, and when he dropped off a cliff, he really dropped off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I don't, you know, to me, a guy, a, again, he's not JYD. You know what I mean? He doesn't have that run where you go, holy shit, this guy was setting the world on fire. You know, I, I mean, he doesn't have that going for him. And without that going for him, a guy whose peak is not as, as brief as Snooker's was, I can't vote for a guy like that. So, so to me, even if even if I wanted to grant him a, a little bit on influence that maybe some of these other guys don't have, uh, he he, I think he pretty clearly falls short as a Hall of Famer. I'm a little more bullish on him as as an influence than than Dylan is. I think uh, you know he, he clearly uh, a very memorable gimmick. And a gimmick that's still being copied today, um, and and you know, jumping off the cage is is one of those iconic moments. I, I can buy the influence argument for Jimmy Snuka. Um, I think he had one hell of a career. I just don't think it was a Hall of Fame career. Right. I, it's a, you know, I'm a little, yeah. you know, I bring some. It, it, this is an odd switch for me. I'm bringing the brevity to the table. I'm uh, <laughs> uh, being uh, pithy here, you know. We well, when you're when you're matched up with Dylan, it, it's. Hey, listen, I'm a gentleman. <laughs> a you you got to defer to the guest, Rich. You know, that's right, how you got to run a professional operation. Yeah, and the thing is, yeah. me, 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 and Joe are usually so amicable toward each other that we. <laughs> well, here's the thing. You know, when this thing started, when this podcast started, I I warned people. That we would agree more than they thought uh, on this particular on this particular show, because I saw a lot of common ground here. So there there isn't there just isn't a ton to argue about. I don't know. Well, I wish we could get somebody else on for this next guy because I don't know if we're gonna have a ton of argument here. But then the always controversial, the topic we always want to avoid anytime we talk about Hall of Fame. It is the man they called Sting. Uh, can I go first? 
Yes, 2012, 38%, 2013, 33%. Joe Landis, Anybody who follows Dylan in any capacity knows how strongly he feels about this topic. He did a podcast on the topic. Uh, how did you feel that came off when you did? I, I, I Forgive me for forgetting the guy's name. You can plug him. Um, uh, Andy Napier. Uh, okay. How nice did you guy. feel that debate came off? Um, I enjoyed it. I, I, I thought it was a fun show to do. But I, look – it, it, there's not a case for him, and I think it's evident in, in 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 the argument that Andy was making, and I think it's evident in the argument that Jeff Hawkins made on uh, you know uh, yesterday. Yeah. Like I, I, there's not a case for him. The, a, absent uh, sort of this emotional like uh, argument, I, I really don't think there's there's a strong case for Steve. Anyway, Joe, go, you go ahead and say what you got to say. Yeah, because, because here's. I, Here's what – listen, we're not going to – look, we could do two hours on Sting. I think everybody's tired of hearing about Sting. I can – this this was the most compelling thing to me when Dave Meltzer posted this little nugget in 2011. Anybody who thinks uh, Sting is a viable candidate, I'm going to throw this at you, okay? Here is Sting's pay-per-view main event record from 1988 to the year 2000. Total pay-per-views run by the company and total pay-per-views that he main evented. Uh, that were run by the company. 1988, 0 for 2. 1989, 2 out of 5. 1990, 2 out of 5. 1991, 2 out of 5. 1992, 2 out of 5. 1993, 4 out of 7. 1994, 1 out of 6. 1995, 2 out of 9. 1996, 3 out of 10. 1997, 1 for 11. 1 out of 11 in 1997, 1998, 4 out of 12, 1999, 4 out of 12, and 2000, a very weak year. Would we all agree for WCW? Yep. He, he didn't main event a single pay-per-view in the year 2000 when they were dying for anybody to light something on fire. So I don't know if you no, – He got lit on fire that year. No, he literally <laughs> got lit on fire though, Joe. Excellent point. So uh, I don't know if you were keeping track there. Um, there wasn't – there was only one year – between 1988 and the year 2000, where he even main evented more than half 